Turn it on and rip the knob off. It's episode 14 of The Grenade. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me once again, Steve Ekstat. Steve, it's episode 14. We're a week out from Thanksgiving. We're a week out from the Great American Bash Watch Along. But first, we got to get through two more weeks of NWA action. Yeah, man, time's flying by. It's crazy to think how far along we already are. It seems like we just started yesterday. So it's been a blast, and I'm ready for some more. Yeah, and this week we're going to be looking at the weekends of July 14th and July 21st. Of course, the Bash, the pay-per-view of the Bash taking place on July 23rd. And maybe a bonus show. You kind of caught a, caught some commentary from the main event. And, we, well, we'll discuss that as we get into the show here. But holy cow, seven months into 1989 and two weeks until Thanksgiving. Just completely crazy. Or actually, well, now one week until Thanksgiving. So it's just crazy. Yeah, it is. Wow. Time flies and, when you're having fun, buddy. Yeah, and we got some special uh, free gift giveaways I'm going to bring up here in a minute. But first, before we do that, a couple of shout-outs this week. First, we've got to say hello and a big thank you to good old JR, Jim Ross. Yes, that Jim Ross, who was digging around on our Twitter account and retweeted and commented on a recent video we uh, uploaded of Lee Scott being shot into orbit by the SST. We talked about that on last episode. You can actually go right now to at Rasslin Grenade. That's at Rasslin Grenade. And check out that video and all three videos, really. And I even did a compilation of all three backdrops of Lee Scott taking the backdrop from the SST. It's all right now on at Rasslin Grenade on Twitter. And I, I had to do a double take when I first saw JR retweeted us. I had to make sure that the blue check mark was there. And sure enough, it was Jim Ross. And if that wasn't enough, the 16,000 plus views the video did in like two or three days, thanks to his retweet, proved it. So thank you, Jim Ross, by God. And if you don't already know, you can follow JR at JR's Barbecue, JR's BBQ, and listen to his podcast with Conrad Thompson over at Grillin' JR. Again, not that I needed to tell you guys that, but yeah, thank you once again, good old Jim Ross. Pretty awesome of him. He doesn't have to do that stuff, but he seems to be busy on Twitter, so I'm not surprised at all. And secondly, I absolutely have to thank Mr. Richard Land. He's at Masked Wrestlers on Twitter. He's the go-to guy for obscure WWF footage, but I went to uh, Mr. Land, the Land Man, and I inquired about some shows we were missing here in 1989, NWA Steve, and he was able to do some digging around, and he found two missing shows relevant just to this episode of The Grenade. It was kind of funny because he found one and then we were getting ready to record The Grenade and he found the other one. So we had to actually postpone the show another day because it's all about getting everything we can on here, all the content we possibly can. I'll mention those again when we get to those episodes, but thank you again to Richard at Masked Wrestlers. That's M-A-S-K-E-D Wrestlers on Twitter for making The Grenade a little more complete and filling gaps and missing footage as we continuously try to preserve wrestling history with or without the help of old stingy pants McMahon. And I hope you guys have been enjoying the new show, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, released every Monday morning. We're, on, we're coming up on episode three already. For those who don't know, The Grenade is now moved permanently to Wednesday mornings. A reminder to follow the WrestleCopia podcast network on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's at WrestleCopia. 
You can follow our sister show, Monday Warfare, at Monday Warfare. It's spelled exactly as it sounds on Twitter. And of course, follow us here on the grenade at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R A S S L I N Grenade. We had two free gift giveaways, Steve, back on Halloween. You were so kind and generous to put them up and offer them out to our, our listeners. And they came in flocks. There were a lot of people interested, sending me messages and things. And so I'm happy that we were able to make a couple people happy. We made a, a someone's child happy uh, with the... Uh, yeah. yeah, that was really cool to see that somebody won the prize and gave it to their kid who collects autographs. Very, very cool. The good cop, bad cop. So this time I thought, well, at Halloween, we gave out two gifts. So this is Thanksgiving, Steve. So I I asked you just earlier, we already had in mind two more gifts, but you upped it a little bit. We're going to give away three gifts this year on Thanksgiving. How does that sound? We're going to give away three free prize giveaways this Thanksgiving, and we'll announce the winners on Thanksgiving at some point in the day in between me cooking 30 dishes watching football and scouring the net for Christmas deals for the kiddos and mama. Uh, sometime that day, I promise I'll tweet out all of the winners. We'll get you guys up there and we'll be sure to mention you on the following podcast as well. That, that follows Thanksgiving here on the, the memory grenade. Uh, remember the only way to enter to win the free prize giveaways is simply to follow us on Twitter at wrestling grenade. And we'd greatly appreciate a retweet of the free prizes as well. The more followers we get, the more prizes we can give away. And for Thanksgiving, Steve, the three prizes are the first prize is an autographed picture of Gator Scott Hall. No, just kidding. Well, close anyway. <laughs> it's it's actually an autographed eight by ten of the bad guy, Razor Ramon. It's a picture from WrestleMania ten just moments after he's grabbed both intercontinental titles. He has a belt in each hand standing at the top of the ladder. An, an amazing picture. And it's signed by Scott Hall himself, Razor Ramon. So that's prize number one. Prize number two. Since it's Thanksgiving and it's a little bit about having a nice meal for the second giveaway, we're going to offer up the Ken Patera special, the McDonald's pack. What a great idea. It came from the mind of Steve. So blame him or, or give him credit, whatever you want to do. Take your pick. What we're, what we're giving away in this particular free <laughs> gift giveaway is not only an autographed promo pick of Kim Batera as Intercontinental Champion, but we're throwing in a $10 McDonald's gift card as well. You can thank the legend of Kim Batera for this idea. <laughs> Just awesome. Hopefully people enjoy it You know, get a kick out of it like we did. That was tremendous. If we weren't the ones giving this away, I would want to win this. Well, first of all, I love the promo pick. I'm old school, man, and I love this picture. of You guys go on Twitter right now and check it out. Kim Batera is Intercontinental Champion with Grand Wizard looking over his shoulder. But I would just want to win this just to say I won this and tell other people. I won this freaking Kim Batera McDonald's pack. It was hilarious. But anyways, we still got one more prize to give away. So one final drum roll. Prize number three, an 18 by 24 reprint of the Survivor Series 1990 poster, complete with all the teams. It looks so cool. I stared at this picture in the old magazine for days, if not weeks, some 30 years ago when the pay-per-view was coming up. And how cool to own it and have it up on your wall. It's so awesome. Again, the picture on Twitter. So that's what we're doing. All you have to do to get a Razor Ramona autographed picture from WrestleMania 10, the Kempatera McDonald's gift card pack, or the Survivor Series 90 poster, is follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. You have three chances to win because there's going to be three winners. Should you be selected as a winner, please remember to read and respond to your DMs as soon as possible so that we can confirm and get things announced to you as soon as possible. 
It's the Razor autograph, the Survivor Series 90 poster, and the Kim Batera McDonald's pack. New meaning to the term, happy meal. <laughs> uh, just great. And with all of that out of the way, we're about to get into the final two weeks leading up to the Bash 89 pay-per-view. But before we can get there, let's take a listen to some brief but important messages that tell you how you can keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network up and running. Keep the grenade up and running for 2021. Please take a quick listen, and we'll return shortly. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-host for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review and we'll do our own little watch along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, a power patron tier, All you have to do is subscribe $5 to our Patreon account where you, as the Patreon, get exclusive access to the Power Hour podcast that we release anywhere from two to four times per month with the potential for bonus episodes being added at any given time. It's unfiltered, uncensored, unedited. We say whatever we think, whatever we feel on just about any topic. We'll answer your questions, review recent pay-per-views. There's even a little segment we like to call Things Meltzer Said, where we pick apart and debate Things Meltzer Said. All of that, plus other random questions, opinions, and stories are shared here on the exclusive Power Hour podcast. Or, for only $2 more, you can subscribe to the $7 tier, the all-access tier, where for $2 more, not only do you gain access to the Power Hour podcast and everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle C-O-P-I-A. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the Grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling. 
and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts slated to launch over the course of the fall season. Everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts this holiday season, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. All right, and we're back, and it's time to take you home. It's our it's our go-home show to the Great American Bash 89, and we're going to kick things off as the Bash Tour continues. And last week, we discussed the first stretch of the Bash Tour. We saw some houses under 1,000 fans. A show was canceled. Things seemingly can't get much worse here in regards to drawing houses. So let's see what happens here on the next leg of the Bash, shall we, Steve? Sounds like a plan. Okay, so last episode, we started with June 22nd. The Bash started on June 22nd. We ran all the way into July 14th. We pick up here July 15th in Richmond, Virginia, drawing 4,500 fans. That's actually respectable compared to some of the houses they were drawing in the first leg of the tour anyway. Yeah, it seems to be doing a little bit better based on what they did before. Did better towards the end than it did at the beginning. Of course, that was Crockett Country, and now we move out of Crockett Country and into Texas, Fort Worth, Texas. This was actually supposed to be a bash tour show, but they changed it last minute to a TV taping. And from what I gather, these TV tapings did not feature bash matches. They just featured a a lot of squashes, maybe a competitive match or two. So if you paid to go to the bash and you wind up not going to the bash, watching a bunch of squash matches, I'd be pretty pissed off here. And uh, from what I understood for this July 16th show here in Fort Worth, which is home of Dallas, home of world-class championship wrestling, they draw 2,700 fans to this TV taping, and half the roster wasn't even booked to show up here because there were a lot of nagging injuries that they wanted everyone healed in time for the pay-per-view. So there was just guys not even on the card. It was changed to a TV taping, and it's a huge market, Dallas and Fort Worth. I mean, look at what the Von Erics did there for years, and here, 2,700 fans. Incredible. Man. The very next night in Lubbock, Texas, they draw a sellout. Now, that sounds pretty good, but the sellouts, it's a small venue. They draw 2,000 fans, though it was a sellout. They weren't going to get anything more. I'm just more curious about why were they even booking cities not in Crockett Country. Maybe in Crockett Country, I could understand it. The Mid-Atlantic region, booking the small cities or, or the smaller venues just because they had been there for so long. It was a, probably a guaranteed sellout, at least in years prior. Here in Lubbock, I don't even know why we're running Lubbock, but July 17th, 2000, sellout. I'm just, the mind boggles me why we're running Lubbock and and trying to draw 2000 for a a bash tour date. It's not making you the money you need to pay these guys properly anyway. Yeah, it sounds like they're just filling a a date on the card to get us from point A to point B. This whole bash tour didn't make any sense to me the way they had it set up. They're running a lot of WWF country. They're running other people's areas, and they're not really running their own stuff and i get it it's the great american bash so you probably want to get around 
hopefully people are watching. But, I mean, the ratings were in the tank months before the Bash Tour even started. So how can you expect these buildings or these shows to even sell when the ratings aren't even that good? Wishful I mean, that's a pretty good thinking. indication that people aren't, aren't watching. And if they aren't watching, they're not going to buy a show. And we all know how terrible their promotion was, like selling shows in markets. Right. And they had no idea how to do that. So they're just throwing shit on the wall and hoping people show up. And that's just not the way to run a company. You got to be out of your mind to do that. Yeah, I got two words for you. Wishful thinking. That's really all it comes down to here. That's not going to sell tickets, however. We do move over to July 18th in Amarillo, home of the Funker. 4,000 fans sell out. This was a TV taping, however. I love the building. Not sure what the name of the building was or where they were, but there's only a few few matches pop up, seemingly, from this actual TV taping here, but I did like the look of the building when, when they showed it on TV. July 19th, it's all the way back to Atlanta and center stage for the final TV taping. They taped the go-home show for World Championship Wrestling for Great American Bash. So at least it'll be fresh for the weekend. July 20th, we're headed to Lexington, Kentucky. So you go from Atlanta, you go from Amarillo back to Atlanta over to Kentucky in a matter of three days. It's, it's really all over the place, whoever booked this tour. But you really don't go to Kentucky. I hope they didn't go to Kentucky because according to Jim Cornette, he has no information on this show. He believes the show was canceled. So I did some deep diving into the Observer, and while Dave seems to not mention when the shows are canceled, I think he's trying to cover for the NWA just a little bit. He doesn't mention any type of results or information on this Rupp Arena show here on the 20th, so it looks like it was likely canceled. And we've seen that before already, and I believe it was in Providence, uh, the last leg of the tour. We move on to July 21st, Dayton, Ohio. So now they've moved on from Kentucky to Ohio. At least they're next to each other. At least Ohio's on top of Kentucky. Uh, Jim Cornette reports that In his notes, there were no people, in quotation marks, no people. He guesstimated somewhere around 500, 600 fans. Dave Meltzer got a report that there were something like 1,200 fans. Now, I tend to believe Cornette, not because he's always been really great at kind of eyeballing the crowd and and guesstimating the amount of people. Dave Meltzer gets his report second-handed from whomever, and he's guessing double. He's saying 1,200 from whoever the source was. So you take your pick either way, 600, 1200. I know that's double either way. Not, not very good. I'm assuming, I don't know where they ran. I'm assuming probably the hair arena, which ECW was pulling in something like 3,500 fans, maybe. So this is like a third of that. Not a very good draw here for the great American bash. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, 1200 or 500, take your pick. They're both trash. So uh, not very good. Definitely not. And it's the last stop before the Bash pay-per-view, July 22nd, the day before the pay-per-view. We're back in WWF country, Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Civic Center. And the NWA has done, Crockett had done pretty decent in Philadelphia in the past. There, there's that riotous crowd that really loves the heels, and they love that wrestling. They're a really a wrestling town. Yes, they like the WWF, but they loved every other wrestling company that came through there, too. They were very receptive you know, of ECW, but certainly even of, of the NWA here. And in 1986, they drew 11,000 fans at the Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. 11,000 fans in Philadelphia for the NWA. A sellout again, I don't have the numbers, but a sellout again in an arena in 1987. And then even last year, 1988, a respectable 7,000, more than anybody, any other place they've stopped so far here, it seems like, anyway, in the Bash Tour. 7,500 fans just last year in 1988 in Philly. Here this year in Philly, 3,000 fans. That's nearly one quarter of what they drew in 1986 and certainly less than half of what they drew last year in 1988. 
And that's where we stand all the way up to up to the bash as far as uh, ticket sales and how things are going on the other stops on along the way. Man, how the mighty have fallen. This makes you wonder, wish maybe they realized the Dusty booking was doing more harm before they did. Because if you could have salvaged it and kept that stuff going before he totally ran it into the tank, it would have been a lot quicker turnaround for him. But it was so far gone that you basically had to start over from scratch, and they're still trying to claw their way out. And I don't know if they ever did. It's just unfortunate how bad it got. Yeah, and did you ever have that bad luck where if you just hadn't done something one last time right before something big was getting ready to happen for you, you wouldn't be in the situation you found yourself in? Jim Cornette finds himself in a situation like that because here on July 22nd, the day before he's to wrestle Paulie Dangerously live on pay-per-view in a match that they had planned not to be a comedy match, but to be an actual fight. They wanted to go out there and produce an actual fight because they were supposed to hate each other, and these two guys wanted to turn it away from comedy and make it all about revenge and anger and, and actually fight one another. Unfortunately, the night before Jim Cornette jumps off the ring apron during a spot and tears his left knee, tears everything in his left knee. And remember he'd already had the leg injuries from before from falling off the scaffold. So Jim calls his doctor, tells him what happened. And the doctor tells him not to do anything athletic until he can see Jim Cornette. What does Jim Cornette do? Well, we'll find out next week on the watch long, but I will tell you this much. He does go ahead and wrestle Polly dangerously. So until, until he sees the doctor, not going to happen. The next night was the pay-per-view. Jim Cornette does wrestle. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do athletically anyways, Jim Cornette. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Yeah. I, I'll give him credit once we get to the watch long and see how he goes into the match and, and everything he went through to, to get to that point. It's, it's kind of comical, but not in a ha ha comical just just the things that transpire <laughs> but we'll talk yeah. about that when we do the watch long by this point too there's been a lot of other guys getting injured on the bash tour a lot of nagging injuries i don't know if you've noticed but there's not really a, a day off during this bash tour it seems like there's a, a bit except for the cancellations those are the days off other than that it seems like they're working every single day and by this point the injuries are starting to rack up some of them just nagging injuries guys need a day or two off just to recover but Terry Funk did have a fractured sacrum and Johnny Ace is working now with a fractured cheekbone. I believe there's even a couple other injuries along the way. I think even Muda was given a day or two off to heal uh, throughout this last leg of the bash tour heading into the pay-per-view. So injuries are, are mounting, but you wouldn't know it come pay-per-view time. Everyone delivers and it's, it's an amazing pay-per-view. And that's basically where we stand right now with the conclusion of the Philadelphia show. That brings us to July 23rd in the Bash pay-per-view from Baltimore. So we'll save that for next week's special watch-along edition, Thanksgiving Eve. Can't wait, man. You've hyped this show up so much. Uh, I'm ready to watch it. I think the NWA hyped it up for me. I just kind of went along for the ride. I do enjoy the show. <laughs> and we were going to kick yeah, things off. Oh, they did do a fantastic job for the people that watched it, know it. And for the people that didn't watch it, I hope they go back now and watch it now that they've listened this deep into our podcast. And we were actually going to kick things off this week with a July 14th power hour. But wait, Steve, you kind of noticed something, and I don't know if it's a fact or not, but it was a good call, and so I kind of flip-flopped things around. We went, as we were doing notes and reviewing the shows for these next two weeks, we got to the main event, the Sunday night main event for July 16th, and they kept hyping the upcoming Steel Cage match on power hour for next week. If this was, in fact, aired at the correct time that would actually place this main event back on July 9th because the power hour happened on the 14th, the main event on the 16th shilling an upcoming power hour. That seems like it would be out of order. Now I said to you, 
it could just you know it's NWA. It could just be a production error, and if this really did air on the sixteenth, and they just promoted things out of order. We've seen that before. It's possible. However, since nothing really occurs on this show that really makes you think otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and for right now anyway call this show the main event, the NWA main event for July 9th. Now we could be wrong. It could be the sixteenth. Uh, we only have one main event here uh, is in regards to the date. So we're going to call it July 9th, the NWA main event. That's how we're going to kick things off. If it's the 16th, I do apologize. Somebody will come out there. Come, I'm sure somebody out there will, will correct us. People love to do that. And I'm happy to be corrected in this instance. But the f- cool thing about this main event that we're dubbing July 9th is there are two versions of this show out there in uh, wrestling land. For people that don't know, we've mentioned this in prior episodes, the NWA began recording a syndicated version of the main event that aired in local markets for people that didn't have cable, for people that couldn't get TBS. And so the TBS version by this point is hosted by Jim Ross and Polly Dangerously. And for some reason, the syndicated version has a different cut in with Polly Dangerously and Lance Russell. So we have two separate hosts with Polly Dangerously for two separate shows, same matches, just two separate shows, two guys hosting, the, the two different pair of hosts, I guess is the best way I can, I can put it. And we kick the show off. It's Wildfire Tommy Rich in there against Al Green. He's doing the Bounty Hunter gimmick this week. This match was definitely taped July 3rd uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. The Bounty Hunter jumps Tommy Rich to kick off the match, but to no avail. Tommy Rich dominates basically the entire match with wear down holds, and he Fez Press ends this one in six minutes. Very uneventful. I got nothing, man. I didn't watch. I forgot to watch the syndicated version. To be honest with you, I watched the other one where it started with the Terry Funk promo. <laughs> well, you so, missed nothing. You missed nothing. I totally forgot to give that. Hey, brother! Somebody say something about Steve fired up. Steve messed up. That's what happened right there. Yeah, you missed nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Six minutes of rest holds, really, is what this was. And Tommy Rich gets the win. He dominates the match and gets the win with the old Fez press. We get a Ricky Steamboat promo it's, uh, from last week, so we've seen this one before. He's challenging Lex Luger to the no DQ match. The only note I have here is, uh, I don't know if this is from the syndicated version or the TBS version, but Polly refers to Steamboat as a wife beater. So you, you did miss that as well if, if you picked up the show later. I'm trying to, I'm wondering why he would say something like that. I get it. He's a heel and he's trying to get some heat, but uh, that's baseless, I'm sure. That's completely <laughs> sure. different than what we just I'm sure it's the, uh, it, it may have been a rib. It may be the opposite. My, Bonnie might be the uh, spouse spouse abuser. I could see that. <laughs> You're not wrong there. <laughs> and now I'm waiting for the lawsuits to, to come in from, from Bonnie. Mm. Have fun in court, buddy. Hey, man, you're guilty by association. <laughs> well, I guess we better start throwing our pennies together. Oh, Lord. So I did something cool here. At least I thought it was cool anyway. What I did was Terry Funk does a promo with Paulie Dangerously here on the main event. But he does two different promos. He does one with Polly on the show with JR, and he does one with Polly, a different one with Polly for the show with Lance Russell. So I went in there, I thought that was kind of cool. So what I did, because they're, they're both spliced in at the same exact part of the show. So what I did was I went and grabbed audio of both promos. So we'll listen to the first one here. I love this one. This is with Lance. I think this is the one with Lance Russell. Uh, yeah, it's the syndicated version, the one with Lance Russell. Lance is actually in the room when Paulie's about to introduce Terry Funk and Lance kind of, Oh my God, rolls his eyes and he has to leave. He's, <laughs> he has no interest in being in there when Terry Funk arrives, uh, <laughs> stage left. So here we go. This is Paulie dangerously and Terry Funk. Take one syndicated. I've got some footage that I want. What? He's here. 
Who is here? Terry Funk. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll tell you, you are a case. Come on, come on. You can host the show with me. Oh, can I? Welcome. Show with Welcome. You, Thank you for showing it's up. It's a pleasure being Thank here you. with you anytime on the Danger Zone. Well, no, this is not, this is this is the main event show. This is the NWA main event. But anytime, anytime, I, anytime you're around, it's a Danger That's Zone. Right. Anytime you're around, it's a day. Any what? place you go is dangerous. Holly, what did you think about Rick? Flair's interview about the match the 23rd in Baltimore whenever he kept on getting louder and louder and louder and the veins started protruding from his neck and his face got redder and he screamed and he hollered I am going to beat Terry Funk on the 23rd doesn't he realize that Bach and Beethoven and Einstein and people of this nature Churchill they did not have to raise their voice to make their points in history. Nor do I, Ric Flair. All I have to do is say one thing. You just have to take that glory days and take the L out of it because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be the glory days in Baltimore on the 23rd whenever I get a hold of Ric Flair. And what a pleasure it is having you have me here and i promise you that any time that you want to you can come to funk's grill can i Could come I? back here you of always, course you're you always welcome here anytime i'm around you're welcome because you are the next heavyweight champion of the world for sure would you like to watch this next match bill Irwin's in it i know you like him i sure do check this one out bill Irwin in the ring and that's promo one between Polly and Terry Funk. That was on the syndicated version. This is Polly Dangerously in the same segment interviewing Terry Funk on the TBS version of the main event. Of course I I'll am. shut up now. You can and you know, you know who knows that most of all is Ric Flair because you can find it out because he screams whenever he talks. And why does he scream? You either scream in anger or scream because you're trying to hide something. And that's what Ric Flair is doing. He is trying to hide his fear. And there's certain kinds of fear, Polly. Fear of the dark. You know, if you shut your eyes, some people are afraid. Or fear of being underwater for a long time, not being able to come up and get air, are afraid of an animal. Ric Flair is afraid of an animal. And that animal is me. And I have the instinct to feel his heart beat faster and faster and faster the closer it gets to the 23rd of july in baltimore they call it the glory days let's eliminate that l and you will have the gory days he says that i have tarnished his career well i am going to stain his career a bloody red in Baltimore. And Polly, I want to thank you once again for having me as your guest. Well, you. And you can be on Funk's Grill at any time. Thank you. We have something else coming up. I have no idea what it is, nor do I care. Thanks for coming back and saving the NWA. You're welcome, Polly. Thank you. God bless you. We have something else coming up. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> what did you think of these uh, Terry Funk promos? Oh, they're pretty good. He was spot on, like he's so calm, cool, and collected. Where Flair's 
at another level that we haven't seen him in in a long time where he's yelling and he's maxed out to the he's he's ready to go he's been gone for a while so he's ready to get back in there and he, he's showing it in his promos but uh these are both really good they're they're similar obviously you could pick up the distinct similarities there but they're also different and and they're both really good funk promos for sure yeah i thought that was really cool it was really uh they, i don't know why they didn't just splice the poly and funker one into you know both of them because jim ross was nowhere to be found in the tbs version so they could have easily done that but I, i'm grateful that they didn't because just getting Lance Russell's mannerisms when Terry Funk's walking to the screen was classic enough for me. So I, I, I was totally supportive of that. And I thought it was a really cool idea I just came up with to get them both on the show, just to give everybody an idea of how things worked back then. We move on. We're back uh, July 3rd taped in Columbia. It's Scott Hall. I don't know if he's Gator Scott Hall or Big Scott Hall because he was kind of Gator Scott Hall for a little bit, but he's now being introduced as Big or He was Gator for a little bit. Now he's Big. I don't know. Take your pick. Does it really matter? He's taking on wild Bill Irwin here. Lots of arm bars kick things off from Scott Hall. Punches and kicks from Irwin, just as you would uh, suspect. Your typical Irwin match. Uh, why do these matches always uh, last the longest on the show? I can't seem to understand. We get all these guys out here who have a large arsenal of moves. Their matches go two, three, four minutes. Bill Irwin seems to get these 10 to 15 minute matches almost every week. It's kind of like Vince with IRS in the WWF. Maybe that's the only way to have him try and put on a good match is to give him a little bit of time. I really have no reason for it. it he's terrible. Like you said, it's just a bunch of kicks and, and rest holds and stalling and nothing entertaining at all about this match. And the fact that it went nearly 10 minutes can put you to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> it's this terrible. This match was uh, announced as having a 10-minute time limit. The match goes, according to the ring announcer, the match would pretty much go roughly about 9 minutes, 50 seconds. There's about 10 seconds left in the match when, when Scott Hall gets the win here with an inside cradle, even an uneventful finish to the match. We see about 9 minutes of this, so we missed about the first minute of the match. I, I, I would assume most of that was just stalling from Irwin. So, yeah, Scott Hall picks up the win with an inside cradle. Match went damn near 10 minutes. Bill Irwin attacks Scott Hall after the match, whips him down to the mat. Scott Hall makes the big comeback, runs Bill Irwin off. So very uneventful, not a lot to see here. Didn't do Scott Hall any favors. Yeah, Scott Hall's still really green. Uh, his offense is weird for his body. Um, he's doing drop kicks and arm drags and things like that, and it, it just looks weird, him doing that. Yeah, it looks He's very... still a few years away from being something that resembles a pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just a very phony persona for scott hall and i don't know that I, phony is the right word because he's trying to find himself here he's not really trying to be fake he's trying to find who he is and he's been in the business yeah. quite a few years at this point him and spivey broken together as a team and so here we see where spivey is and we see where scott hall is and hall has the much better look but spivey you know just the right places at the right time i suppose yeah and he works japan and got better so i, I think that's a big difference as well we continue on with the show. It's highlights of the Paul E. Dangerously Jim Cornette feud, of course, building towards the bash pay-per-view when the two managers will take each other on in a tuxedo match. Uh, it was pretty cool. We did go back in time. Vince and the WWF don't like to acknowledge what happened in past history, especially when certain people have left the company. And the Midnights, or the original Midnights, have, for all intents and purposes, left the company. Randy Rose is still around here and there to do a job. Dennis Condry's been gone for months, but... We do go back in time and we see Paulie's debut and the attack on Jim Cornette. That was pretty cool. It keeps everybody, for anybody that wasn't watching near the end of last year, now you know what started it. Now we know where we are and the pay-per-view is coming up next week. 
good job, I thought anyway. Yeah, I liked it. I was I was kind of surprised to see it. Like you said, they don't really they didn't really do these things back then, and uh, to see him go that far back to highlight the rivalry between these two, I thought it was very well done. Good stuff. It's a Lex Luger promo replay from last week. He is class that will never pass. He says Steamboat was a champion. Luger is a champion. The NWA may dictate the rankings, but not the match type. Lex Luger is in full control. He will give Steamboat a match, but it's just going to be a regular wrestling match. Six-man main event time. This one's taped at center stage. It's all three Freebirds as Hayes, Garvin, and Gordy taking on the Steiner brothers and Dr. Death. What a threesome that is. Yeah, this is a quite the visual seeing those these six guys together. I mean, outside of Hayes, I mean, Garvin looked really good when he came back. He was he got on that Hogan plan and um, he looked awesome. I thought. You mean he started taking Hulk Hogan chewable vitamins, right? Yeah, uh, he did that. And uh, Doctor Death and the Steiners is just tremendous. I mean, what a what a sight to see! Oh just my awesome. God. I'd be running away. Oh yeah, for sure. My first note here, though, as I look at these three guys, Doc and the Steiners, who do you want to see them get in the ring with on the other side? Terry Gordy. So who do we see the least out of on the other side? Terry Gordy. Not nearly enough Terry Gordy in this one. The Freebirds do eventually get heat on Rick Steiner. Double Irish whip into the railing goes Steiner. That was a good bump by Rick Steiner on the floor. Michael Hayes misses a big punt kick and takes a back bump, that banana peel bump, if you will, that we saw DDP do (laughs) recently on a watch long we were doing for WCW pay-per-views. And uh, Rick makes the hot tag to Dr. Death. Terry Gordy tags in, too. So we get Doc and Gordy on the hot tags. They start going at it. Gordy with a wild upside-down bump in the corner. Sells more than the shitty other birds, Garvin and Hayes. It's crazy to think that the biggest guy, the legit badass on your team, is the one who has no issues taking the bumps. Yeah, it just goes to show he's a true professional. He wants his stuff to look good, and he's going to do everything it takes to make that happen. Whereas the other guys, it just feels like they're there to make a paycheck and living off their name. So we wind up with a six-way brawl. Polly dangerously pops up at ringside. Scott Steiner winds up with an O'Connor roll on Jimmy Garvin, but Polly's down there with that tennis racket he's been carrying around, just like Jim Cornette. Polly hands the racket to Gordy. Gordy in the ring takes the racket, jabs it right into the throat of Steiner. Garvin covers, gets the win. Match went seven minutes. I wasn't happy with the finish. Yeah, I wasn't either. Uh, it's just a... Uh... Another one in the long list of cheaper non-finishes in these big main event matches that you see on TV all the time. So I wasn't surprised in the least. So Paulie's obviously, he's out here assisting the Freebirds because they'll be teaming up with the SST going into war games at the Bash. They screw Scott Steiner here. I didn't like the initial finish, and I never understood this with the NWA. We get the finish shown from one camera angle in the actual match, and then during the instant replay, we get it from a separate camera angle, which I'm cool with, but... Typically, it seems like the instant replay angle is so much cooler. I would have rather have seen that we get a straight shot uh, rather than a, a far away shot of the uh, the finish here with the racket to Steiner's throat that you can't even really make out during the actual match. In the replay, we see a perfect ca- camera position straight directly looking at Scott Steiner. Really good shot Gordy gives him in the throat with the tennis racket. So at least it was very believable during the replay. But n- nevertheless, the Freebirds get the win here in a match they really didn't need to get the win. Or so we think. It's Jim Cornette down to the rescue. He tells Tommy Young what happened. Now Cornette's out here. Paulie's out here. Everyone's arguing. And for some odd reason, Tommy Young believes Cornette and randomly reverses the decision. Gives the win to Doc and the Steiners on a disqualification. How do you feel about when the referees reverse a decision based on a third party's observation? 
Uh, I, I never liked it. I mean, I get it. You're trying to pop the crowd, and but it, if if this is the case and they can do this with one match, why can't they do it with every single one that they have Absolutely. questions about? It, it is, and I, to be honest with you, the crowd booed the shit out of this. It felt like here we go again. Yeah, I didn't care for it here. I mean, I get it. You don't want to maybe have them job, but it was dirty anyway. So the heat is still going to be there. They're not going to get any sort of. They're going to lose any momentum because they got cheated out of a match. I mean, that's just going to lead to something else. So it was a waste of time. It was pointless. I didn't care for it at all. Never have. No. And I don't either. And I don't mind it as much when it's a referee coming out. Although I I question why does the referee come out for this match and tell the the other referee what happened. But he doesn't come out for the next match when a screw job like this goes down. So the continuity isn't there when a referee does it. But at least when a second official does it, you can kind of trust the official. Are you supposed to anyway? Versus Jim Cornette, you know, who has issues with the Freebirds. He has issues with Pauly Dangerously. Cornette's not been the most trustworthy guy in the past himself. He comes out here and it takes him about 10 seconds to convince Tommy Young to overturn the results of the match. And now we move on to the Power Hour for July 14, 1989. We're in Fayetteville, North Carolina. This was taped way back on July 4th, Independence Day. Jim Cornette and Jim Ross are your hosts. We kick the show off with Ricky Steamboat taking on Jacko Victory. You notice Jack uh, tapes his earrings. Did you ever see that? I, I caught that on these shows. He has a bunch of a gob of tape wrapped around his earlobes to cover up his earrings. I uh, never noticed. <laughs> Just kind of silly given the, his entire look right now. He's in fatigues. He's got a canteen around his neck, white furry boots. His face is painted uh, up like, like he's uh, going to war. And then for absolutely no reason, he's got tape covering his earrings. Just take them out, Jack. Come on. Work the gimmick. Unless he just got them done. Uh, I think he's had them a while, but I won't dwell on Jack Victory's earrings here. What a whirlwind of 1989 for Jack Victory. Starts off the year as a masked Russian. Then as a member of the Midnight Express, he even worked as uh, a member of the Secret Service. Uh, Now he's defected to New Zealand. That's uh, that's a lot of gimmick changes. here. He's rivaling Brutus Beefcake. He's just doing whatever it takes to get on the TV, man. You That's gotta it. Give him kudos for, you got to give him kudos for that. I mean, there's some shows where he, he worked two matches in the night. I mean, he didn't know it, but he did. Uh, his ass gives him away every single time. But, yeah, <laughs> man, kudos to him for doing everything he can to stay on TV and make that paycheck. So as the match gets going, we had a lot of arm bars from Steamboat, a lot of Steamboat chops. Nice sunset flip from the apron into the ring by the Dragon. Victory takes over with a nice clothesline. Jacko with a headlock and punches. That's my notes. Headlock and punches. That's pretty much his entire arsenal. It's kind of like Bill Irwin. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a lot to it. I thought I will say though, I thought Jack Victory looked pretty competent in this match, and I think yeah. that has everything to do with Steamboat instead of Victory. But it, it didn't it didn't lag or feel bad at no. all, even though it what went ten minutes almost. Yeah. So I, it just felt like it was a solid match, and again, it's all Steamboat, but still, uh, it, it wasn't bad. No, I'll give Steamboat credit. This is, and I'm not trying to completely shit on Victor. I try to have a lot of fun with him here because of his big ass and because, yes, sometimes he does put on stinkers, but he has proven to be competent and, and passable as a worker. He did a great job in the Midnight Express match. He's done pretty decent jobs in some matches under some of these other gimmicks as well. Seems like he's getting a little worse as, as the year goes on. He's regressing instead of progressing, but... Here tonight against Steamboat, he does a pretty damn good job. Slams Steamboat down to the mat, goes up for a middle rope elbow, which he misses. Steamboat goes to the top rope, flying cross body block. Steamboat gets the win, 9 minutes, 53 seconds. And at the end of the match, Jim Cornette on commentary, or at least right after the match, Jim Cornette pushes the fact he wants to know if Lex Luger will sign that no DQ stipulation that Ricky Steamboat continues to ask for. 
It doesn't seem likely, but we'll see what happens. It's on to WNN, the Wrestling News Network, Gordon Sully. He runs down the Great American Bash card. He talks Stampede Wrestling and the British Bulldogs. Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite people might not know this. Yes, they went over to Japan after they left the WWF, but they also had a stint up in Calgary and Dynamite turned heel. I bet you that was awesome. I'd love to see some of that. In the AWA, it's Kim Patera and Brad Rangans, the AWA Tag Team Champions. They've been taken out of action by the future Beverly Brothers, Mean Mike Enos and Wayne the Train Bloom. They're on their way back to the AWA to get revenge. In Atlantic Coast Wrestling News, the Ringlords are feuding with the Mod Squad, and I find that hard to believe, A, because I can't even imagine what the Mod Squad looked like here Look here uh, in 1989. I know they pop up on a random clash at some point, uh, but the Ringlords and the Mod Squad both complete heels as far as their look, and neither team very good, but we are talking independent wrestling here in the, uh, on the East Coast. Ringlords and the Mod Squad, I don't know that I ever want to see that match. And lastly, in the indie news, Gordon mentions that Sam Houston is now teaming with Robert Gibson of the former Rock and Roll Express. Doesn't seem to mention what territory or independent this is in. I'm pinpointing it in Georgia. Seems like Robert Gibson was around Georgia at this point. But it also could have been Memphis. I don't have results of them teaming anywhere. So this honestly could have just been more of shit that Gordon made up. Yeah, hard telling, man. After after you've kind of crapped on well not necessarily crap you just pointed out some discrepancies and falsehoods uh with what gordon Soli's saying it's kind of hard to take anything he's saying here as truth uh, unless i know about it i'm sure some of this stuff did happen but also i'm sure he's throwing things in there just to make himself seem to be more informed than others it's still cool to have him here yeah and before he closes out wnn this week he does the nwa top 10 it hasn't changed from last week gordon doesn't think Lex Luger should give Ricky Steamboat the no DQ match. It's not really something that Luger needs to do as champion. It would actually work against Lex Luger, says Sully. So even though Sully came in pretty much crapping all over Luger, here he supports him in his decision not to give Steamboat the no DQ match. It just doesn't make sense as champion, and I have to agree with Sully there. And closing this episode of WNN out, I noticed there was no mention of the WWF this week. So I guess we'll wait and see if it returns or not. But maybe somebody came up to Gordon and said, hey, you put over that Rude and Warrior feud, you know, uh, let's ixnay that going forward. Yeah, stick to stuff like going on outside the company that's not like directly on their TV. That's about it, buddy. Don't do anything else. <laughs> Probably what he was told. I put a note in here at this point in the show. I was actually having fun <laughs> watching this show. Jim Ross and Jim Cornette were really having some fun oh together God. this week. It was very natural. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't something they'd planned. You could, you could tell they were just feeding off each other. They were laughing and having a good time. Corny oh, telling God. jokes about Jim Ross's quote unquote, old girlfriends. I thought it was good. Oh, I was dying, dude. Cornette told Ross that his last girlfriend, they put her picture up in prisons to cure sex offenders. And Ross says, how did you find that out? And I think Cornette got caught off guard with uh, Ross's quick return right. on the, on the statement. And, He's just dying laughing. I, I was dying laughing too. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, and, they were uh, really having fun. And when you see having, other, yeah. when when you see other people having fun like that, it just it it entertains you more. You're having fun along with them. So laughing is contagious. Oh, it, it felt it felt all natural too. Like you said, it wasn't yeah. scripted. It was just off the cuff, and they were just filling time. But man, I was laughing my ass off. It was funny. Good stuff. Next match is the skyscrapers along with Theodore R. Long taking on Randy Rose and Dwayne Bruce, and Bruce is back for now. If he keeps wrestling these skyscrapers, I don't know how long this is going to last. 
But man, what a sight. I love the way the camera is on the ground and it points upward underneath the skyscrapers. It makes them look so much. I know it's a trick that been done for decades, but it just makes them look so tall and so huge. And just Sid Vicious looks like a star here. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's never not looked like a star. And, and I think people see that. And there's a reason he can do some of the stupid shit he's done and still have a place in wrestling or did anyway. What a physical specimen and what a, what a visual. Just crazy. So we get some peanut head chance here for Teddy Long. I didn't realize that it started this early. I didn't think it caught on until much later into 1990. But I noticed Jim Ross mentioned one week that Jim Cornette coined the phrase peanut head maybe in the locker room or whatever, and it caught on. And so now Teddy Long comes out here every week pointing at his bald dome right into the camera, telling everyone not to call him peanut. It obviously reverse psychology wins here. The fans actually start chanting peanut head. I can't believe it caught on this fast. As the match gets going, Dan Spivey telegraphs a backdrop. And I found this kind of funny. Randy Rose, who had been pushed to some degree in the past, uh, since Spivey telegraphed it, Rose stops short, kicks Spivey in the chest. Spivey stands straight up and no sells Randy Rose and clotheslines Rose. And I don't think Rose was expecting it. He takes the bump, but he doesn't have time to actually take the bump, so he lands on his ass. And it was just really comical. I think Rose was expecting Spivey to sell, and Spivey's like, I'm not selling for you. And then just clotheslines him straight down to the mat. <laughs> I didn't really pick up on that, but it sounds hilarious. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. And, of course, once again, we get Norman down at ringside rolling around and beating on his head with a shovel. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's a garbage can. It's a, it's a balloon. Now we got a shovel out here with Norman the lunatic. Just go away. <laughs> I mean, that's all. That's. I mean, I'm sure that's what Sid and Spivey are thinking. Just oh, get I have, this dude away. I can't. From, I can't imagine. I can't believe. Yeah, I can't believe they haven't done anything about this yet. At this point, this has been uh, going on far too long, and it really hasn't even been that long. And it feels like it's been forever. Yeah, he's not even wrestling anymore, which is probably the best part of the entire thing. I love that shoulder press in the corner, the, the, the crunch there. I think it looks good. And the splash off the middle rope, he's not terrible in the ring. He's believable in the ring. It's just all this other stupid crap they have him doing. He just needs to go away or just wrestle. Uh, that's really it. So do you remember what happened when Dwayne Bruce wrestled Sid, Steve, when Sid pressed him into the air and dropped him on the ropes and he bounced off the ropes and bounced off the apron and hit the floor. And we didn't see him for a month afterwards. Well, Dwayne Bruce tags in here, and what is the first move done to him? The first move is he is pressed in the air by both members of the skyscrapers. And I was just fearing for his life at this point. <laughs> but what a trooper that he just goes along with this. And, and I don't mean a state trooper either, like Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Not yet anyway. Yeah, that's the first move he gets when he comes, comes in. Just, just crazy. And then he also gets killed with a, uh, another clothesline by Sid. So... He's probably done with, with with the skyscrapers. He probably wants nothing to do with Sid or anyone else like that. Uh, yeah, just get him the hell away from him. I think this is the third time he's actually been in the ring now. First with Sid and now the second time with the skyscrapers. Yeah, they actually press him up into the air. And luckily for him, they drop him chest first across the top rope. Spivey with a rolling Samoan drop. I thought that was pretty impressive for to see Spivey hit that move. And a spiked power bomb ends this one. Spivey with his foot. On Dwayne Bruce's chest gets the win in two minutes and 16 seconds. The skyscrapers continue to dominate. And we're back to actually pinning the opponents. Yeah, they figured it out. This week uh, on TV, they figured out what they're going to be. And they're just beating the shit out of people. And that's what I I'm excited to see. 
none of the stupid finishes at the end, whether they're doing a submission, knockouts, things like that. It's just a power bomb, and it's over. And that's and I can't wait for you, Johnny Ace, at the Great American Bash. You're next. <laughs> it's Funk's Grill, and his guests this week are Gary Hart and the Great Muda. The Chiron says it's Oriental Night at Funk's Grill. Gary Hart explains the mist as how Muda summons the spirits of these shogun warriors and these samurais uh, of past ancestry. So that's what the mist is. We finally learn what the mist is after all this time. It's summoning spirits. The mist has spirits. So Missy Hyde had spirits shot all over her face. <laughs> I'm not touching that one, buddy. <laughs> you can if you want. But, uh, I don't have to. Missy's probably touched it enough for the both of us. <laughs> Probably not wrong. Oh, Lord. But uh, I thought this was really cool, man. I, I It was different. Uh, I liked it. It really did make the mist, even though we know it hasn't really done anything because people are coming back, you know, three or four days later, like Missy Hyatt. Just giving a little bit of a backstory is, is pretty cool. I, I liked it. Yeah. So actually what happens during the Funk's Grill here, Gary Hart asks Terry Funk if he wants to have the power of the Shoguns, the power of the Samurais, and Muda winds up spraying mist onto Terry Funk's hands and giving him the power so that he can go in there and use it to defeat Ric Flair at the Great American Bash. I thought that was fun watching Muda spray Terry Funk's, because Terry Funk was like, I don't want to get sprayed in the face. I don't want to get my clothes dirty. No, no, we'll just spray your hands. And so Terry Funk gets the power of the Shoguns and the Samurais. Fun little promo there. It didn't really do a whole lot, but it was it was better than some of the other Funk's grills of the past. Yeah, and it's like a foreshadowing of what's to come later on in the year. So, uh, yeah. what's cool. to come in a, in a week or so? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it made sense, and it's all going to tie in together after the bash, I'm sure. We get a Paul E promo with Jim Ross. Paul E rambles about the SST missing flights back to back from Samoa. They had went home to Samoa. They caught a late flight to St. Louis and now they're stuck in St. Louis and they can't get here for the power hour. The main event was slated to be the steel cage match. If you don't remember uh, the road warriors getting ready to take on the Samoan SWAT team was supposed to be inside a cage here in Marietta. However, according to Paul e, the SST are not here. They're not here in Marietta. They're in St. Louis. And then immediately we get large bullshit chants from the fans. So <laughs> They're not digging this at all. They were promised a cage match between these two badass teams, and Polly just told them they're not getting it. The fans are not pleased. And then they learn that the replacement will be the Freebirds for the SST. And now I'm chanting bullshit too. Yeah, I am too. Like I was, I, I remember I've watched Power Hour '89 a few times. I forgot the cage match and what happened here. But yeah, man, I would love to see the Warriors and the SST in a cage. That'd be pretty dang entertaining. It's unfortunate we didn't get it. Yeah, you don't get steel cage matches on TV all that often. This is the first time, certainly in 1989. So I was pretty bummed that the match was changed. They did save face a little bit. It was not Hayes and Garvin. It was Garvin and Gordy. So at least if it had to be two Freebirds, it was the best two Freebirds you could pick to take on the Road Warriors. It doesn't replace the SST but I'm still pretty damn happy we get Terry Gordy in a cage with the roadies. Same here. Michael Hayes doesn't bring down his team to the ring, but he does saunter his way down momentarily shortly thereafter. This was a solid match with the roadies, do some good stuff early on. I did notice Garvin took minimal bumps. He wasn't trying to sell all that much. Uh, the Freebirds wind up getting heat on Road Warrior Hawk. Gordy and Hawk actually wind up cracking heads. We get hot tags to Jimmy Garvin and Animal. Turns into a four-way brawl. And then after the initial explosion by all four men, I don't know if you caught this. It was like they 
got into separate corners and they were just waiting for something to happen. There was just slow motion punching and they were, it's just really dead. And they just kind of were like looking around waiting for something to happen. It just seemed weird. And then lo and behold, seconds later, it's SST and Polly dangerously popping up at ringside. They were there all along. It's me, Austin. It's me all along. Son of a bitch. And they were there all along. The SST pop up and they hold Tommy Young so that Michael Hayes can pick his pockets. I bet Tommy loved that one. Michael Hayes picking the pockets of Tommy Young until he finds the key to the cage. They get inside the SST and Michael Hayes aid Garvin and Gordy in attacking the roadies. It's five on one. We get a disqualification after eight and a half minutes. Yeah, this is this was a solid match. The aftermath was even better. Like I said, I just wish it was the SST. That would have been a lot better. But I get it. So we see Road Warrior Animal cuffed to the ropes. And Hawk is uh, rammed repeatedly into the cage until he bleeds. It's far away shots, so we never really get a good look at Hawk bleeding. But this is the second blood we're getting here on NWA TV in a matter of just the last couple weeks. They're really trying to sell this pay-per-view. And I guess we need a little blood heading into war games because I don't think we get any in the actual match. Uh, Jimmy Garvin and Fatu go so far as to take Hawk's blood and wipe it on the face of Animal. And I love Animal. They should have cuffed him to the cage. Instead, they cuff him to the ropes. And poor Animal, for the first little bit, has to pretend like he doesn't realize he can just run down the entire length of the rope with the handcuff and go over to the birds. And finally, he realizes how ridiculous this is, and he does. And then he winds up getting attacked and thrown backwards. But I just thought... It would have been better if they just stabilized him, cuffed him to the cage instead of the rope. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he, it kind of though, it did make a good visual. He's kind of walking down the rope, sticking his hand out, trying to get to Hawk. Because even though he, it was like on the opposite side, so he couldn't necessarily go around the turnbuckle and get over there, but he could get pretty close to them if he wanted to. So uh, that was the only really the only thing you could really say negative about this whole thing. I thought. It's not oh, absolutely. Really yeah, it was a g- great angle. I just wish we had gotten that roadies and SST match, but it was a great angle. Meanwhile, so as I stated, we got Hawk basically doing a blade job, animal cuffed to the cage. Hawk actually gets stretchered out. The Freebirds and SST wind up fighting jobbers off as they come to try to save the day. Where are the real workers? Uh, So anyways, Hawk is stretchered out. Huge angle for war games and more blood this week. Really trying to sell this pay-per-view. Holy balls. Great angle. Really good shit, pal. Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, they, like you said, they really are pushing the blood. Funk and Flair talking about they're going to leave a bloody mess. Obviously, you got the blood here. They had blood a week ago. So they're really pushing the envelope how far they want to go uh, with this pay-per-view. They're really trying to bring back that older audience uh, that they used to have. And uh, they're, to me, they're doing a great job. It's just not working out for them. And uh, this week's Wrestler of the Week uh, is the total package Lex Luger. Let's get that out of the way right now because when we come back from break after that huge angle and that big cage match, we get an interview backstage. Jim Ross is with Road Warrior Animal, and he is pissed off. Fans, it's really chaotic back here. We're here in the locker room area. The Road Warriors have just brought Hawk uh, uh, back in there. The medical people are with him now. Uh, they had to, they had to carry him back here. This was a tragic Let's situation. Get Dr. Jim Ross! I'm tired of this! Every time we got somebody beat, something always happens! Samoa SWAT team, I think you had this planned all along. I don't know what you got going with the free bird, but damn, my partner and I are not going to stop till we get revenge. Now he's laying back there full of blood, and I ain't happy about it. You had to call when I was handcuffed to that rope to wipe his blood on me. Who in the hell do you think you're messing with? We're the least you do. We're the road warriors. No matter what his case, 
We are going to get even, and we're going to kick your butt. So it took the SST and the Freebirds to take out Paul Ellering uh, with the Freebirds wrestling with the road, fighting with the road warriors while the SST did away with Paul Ellering. Then it took all five of them again here this week to take out Hawk. It's down to animal, at least until the bash and animal, probably one of his better promos. Yeah, that was great. I loved it when I listened to it uh, short to the point and he got everything across that he needed to very believable. This is one of those ones that visually seeing him definitely enhances it. I mean, he sounds great, but seeing him as well just really enhances it. So if you get an opportunity to watch that, I would definitely try to find it. It's it's really good. Yeah, I think that really sold it for me too, was just Animal's anger and rage that he was showing while he was cutting the promo with the paint off and covering in sweat. And he was angry that, you know, his his brothers, Ellering and Hawk, are both down now thanks to these guys. And revenge is on the way, saith uh, Road Warrior Animal there. As we move into Saturday and NWA Pro, this is actually one of the two shows we were missing. July 15th episode of NWA Pro. Once again, thanks to Richard Land for finding this for us. We kicked the show off with Terry Funk and a pile driver montage video. It's really not a lot to it. They just found four or five pile drivers that Terry Funk hit and set it to some generic music. I give him credit for, for even doing something like this, but really not a whole lot to it. But it does teach you to be aware of the Terry Funk pile driver. And we move into a promo. From the Funker himself, he name drops Jim Hurd and Jim Ross as the people responsible for putting fear into Ric Flair's heart by airing these funk pile drivers week after week. And I just thought it was really odd to hear Jim Ross's name, not once, but twice in his promo from Funk, blaming Jim Ross like Jim Ross had some sort of power, which he technically does in the booking committee. But it just seemed really weird to hear his name dropped here by Terry Funk. Yeah, I think he also said Hurd and Ross are the ones that made Funk the five to one favorite to win the title. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just your basic. It wasn't basic by any means, but it was just a funk promo that was really good. And these guys are done talking. It's it's starting to get to that area where the talking's done. It's time to get to the match. And uh, I'm I'm not saying I'm complaining about a Terry Funk promo, but um, I'm ready to see these guys go at it. I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said. No. And that's that's true. We're ready to get to the pay-per-view, but they got to fill time until we get there. So they're doing their damnedest. And Ric Flair does a tremendous job the next couple weeks. But Flair has been away for a while. Funk's been holding the fort down for quite a while now and did a tremendous job for quite a long period of time. We move into the action. It's flying Brian Pillman taking on Lee Scott. And Pillman already looks good, but against Lee Scott, this makes it extra good, Steve. Uh, Pillman's dropkicks are just absolutely amazing. And they actually do a spot where Pillman seats Scott on the top rope and dropkicks him to the floor. Lee was willing to do anything to get himself and his opponents over, and his opponents seemed to make sure to use that to, to their advantage more often than not. Yeah, I had the same thing down. His drop kicks were just incredible. So crisp and clean. Probably the best drop kick in the business in 89, for sure. I mean, it's like flush right on the face. And then for him to get that high on that top rope, he sat Lee Scott on the top rope and drop kicked him off. I think he hit him right in the chin. That's how high he got up there. Uh, just just crazy how high he can get and how good he was at, at this time. Yeah, he was definitely flying at this point, and the pun is absolutely intended. There was even a spot in here where Pillman does a, a Undertaker-esque uh, flying clothesline off the ropes, and he must have in, informed Scott to get up for it, like jump up in the air to take it, because Scott probably leaves his feet maybe two feet in the air for Pillman, who jumps maybe seven feet in the air to deliver the clothesline. It was really, really impressive, really good stuff from Brian Pillman here, who gets the win with the reverse body block off the top rope in two minutes. 
into a skyscrapers match. It's against Cougar J and George South. Teddy Long joins commentary. They start doing. Have, did you catch? Did you pick up on the Arsenio Hall comments repeatedly throughout these next couple weeks? Uh, Teddy Long just continuously drops the name of Arsenio Hall, who was a big wrestling fan, and I'm pretty sure he was an NWA fan, but his company actually got a deal with the WWF instead, so we wound up getting a lot of WWF guys on the Arsenio Hall show from 1989, honestly, all the way through the end of 1992. Yeah, I was definitely picking up on it. There was name dropping him and things like that. It makes you wonder if they knew WWF was in negotiations with him and they were kind of dropping him maybe to get that publicity to him and possibly change his mind. Who knows? But yeah, I definitely picked up on a lot of Arsenio Hall in these episodes. So the last time we saw the skyscrapers, Norman came out with a shovel. This time he's out here with a fire extinguisher. Don't ask. Spike powerbomb. Spivey gets the win on George South in a minute and 16 seconds. And we learn that they will meet the dynamic dudes at the Great American Bash pay-per-view. Feel sorry for the dudes. Thanks for coming, dudes. It's... Six-man action with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and the Midnight Express taking on Al Green, Snake Brown, and Trent Knight. What a trio that is. Dr. Death starts off doing the ho Hexaw Jim Duggan thumb to Corny, and Corny does it right back. Did you catch that going into the match? I did not see it. No, I did not. Yeah, and I know Doc did that repeatedly, I think, from this point forward for quite a while. It was, I think it was just a shout-out to Hacksaw. They were really great friends in the Mid-South, and there's really no other way to explain it. I mean, ho with a thumbs up. You... It's, there's no coincidence there. Yeah, definitely not. Unless he saw how much he got dug in over, so maybe he's trying to steal it. <laughs> Who knows? So the Midnight's uh, cool. try- Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was really really fun. Uh, so the Midnight's try and set Doc up for a spot. I think where where Stan Lane or Bobby, one of them drops down, and I guess the job guy was supposed to run into a clothesline from Doc. But Doc's late. He's still on the apron, not really looking and noticing. It's his time to get in the ring. He catches it a little too late, so the job guy does the jump over and just kind of stands there waiting. And to cover up his flub, Dr. Death rushes in the ring, and like a car driving down the sidewalk on Grand Theft Auto, Doc plows over all three jobbers with with a succession clothesline. What I mean is, he takes down one and never stops, just continues to run through the second one and even the third one before he stops. So he plows over all three job guys with the same clothesline, basically. And that's Dr. Death for you just awesome what a talent man he's so dang good and he has a great look just an awesome guy i mean it's unfortunate that he's kind of forgotten these days we watching this stuff really makes you appreciate it more than what i did going into this yeah he's he's amazing the finish of the match sees a triple irish whip by the baby faces they three they throw all three of the job guys into one another and this was a really cool spot that I'm going to grab a video of and put it up on Twitter. I really I, I don't know how they even did this. It almost looked fake. The Midnight Express whip Trent Knight into the ropes and they both grab him and throw him up into the air and Trent Knight somehow magically lands on top of the hands of Dr. Death into a press slam. It was like flawless. It was like almost like ballet. I don't know how it happened. But the Midnights grab Trent Knight and just kind of toss him into the air and he lands into a military press position into the hands of Dr. Death in the sky. I really loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, what's crazy is Doc's arms didn't even like go down. They didn't bend or nothing. He had his hands up waiting to catch him. He caught him and then he just stayed there. They didn't move down. That just shows you the strength that the guy had um, to catch somebody like that and not even flinch your arms at all. It's just insane. Yeah, he Mike caught him over his head. Just just so everybody understands it. Like I said, I'm putting the I'm putting the video up on Twitter because it's just amazing. It's almost like uh, I don't know, man. It's just uh, 
It's something you've never seen before. I can no. guarantee you that. No, and I don't even know if you could try this spot and get in and actually do it twice. And they they do actually try this spot again and don't get it. At least not as good here as, as it is the first time. So Dr. Death with the press slam and Bobby Eaton off the top rope with an elbow drop on Trent Knight ends this match. Match only went a minute and 21 seconds. And after the six-man tag, we cut to a contract signing aired or, or take, taken place back on July 1st, we're told. It's Sandy Scott, not George Scott. It's the brother of George Scott, the one everyone actually likes. Sandy Scott, who worked in the Mid-Atlantic office, worked for Jim Cornette all those years up in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It's Sandy Scott here with a contract signing for the television title match at the Great American Bash between Sting and the Great Muda. It's Muda and Gary Hart and Sting all there to sign the contract. Gary Hart says Sting is the best athlete in the United States and the Great Muda is the best athlete in Japan. And we're going to see what happens here at the Great American Bash when the best athlete from the U.S. takes on the best athlete from Japan. Gary Hart makes sure to say that Muda will win. Yeah, it was, it was short and to the point. I thought Gary Hart did awesome here. And uh, what the hell's going on? Is a contract signing that didn't end in a brawl? Or, or uh, definitely nope. nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, no tables were broken. What the hell's going on? These guys actually just yeah, had a contract and signed it. Are you serious? Really? Who does that? <laughs> Jeez. We cut to a quick squash match. It's TV champion Sting. He has hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert in his corner. Why? Because Eddie Gilbert's going to accompany Sting. In his match at the Bash against the Great Muda to keep Gary Hart at bay. Here's Sting with a quick win over John Brewer with the Enzigiri, a Stinger Splash, and the Scorpion Deathlock. Sting gets the win in a minute and 33. I, I thought it was cool watching Sting bust out an Enzigiri here out of nowhere. Yeah, it was definitely out of nowhere, but it, it looked good. Quick and short squash match from Sting, and I really liked it. So these missing episodes that, that we hadn't really originally had if it wasn't for Mr. Land... Uh, they pay off here immediately because not only do we get a few things we wouldn't have seen otherwise, we get this Ricky Steamboat promo here, and Steamboat is pissed off. He says he's pissed off because he keeps watching the replay of Lex Luger basically clotheslining his face off at the end of Clash of the Champions. The best part of this one is, though, when Steamboat says he has, he remembers the three words Lex Luger said to him. Come on, Ricky, let's go. Now, you could argue those are five words, but at the very least, it's four words, but Ricky calls him three here. And I just, I had to point that out, but it was actually a really good promo. I did grab the soundbite. I want to play that for everyone right now. You know something, Lex Luger? You don't know how many times that I've been at home, put in that tape and view that match that I had with Terry Funk and then watch you come into the ring. My savior, you come into the ring in those three words. Come on, Ricky, let's go. Help me up. Take those steps. Level me, break me down with a clothesline. Almost rip my face off my head. And then you bring that chair and you see me down, beaten down. I just got wrestling Terry Funk for 20 minutes, 130 degrees. My system had completely stopped. I had no more energy. All the sweat from my body was pouring out. I was a beaten man. Yes, I was beaten down and you beat me down even farther. And I was begging off. You saw me. I extended my hand to you and you raised that chair. And you looked at me. I turned my back and you blasted me. Oh, that did that hurt. You broke me down, Lex Luger. I thought you came in to help me, to save me. For a minute in that hot Fort Bragg auditorium, I could breathe a fresh air. But then you wanted to be the number one contender. You wanted to eliminate me. Well, in Baltimore, on the 23rd, 
Bring yourself down and bring that chair, but first sign the dotted line for a no DQ because that's how bad I want you. No DQ, sign that line. That hot Fort Bragg auditorium, boy, that's a shoot. What did you think here? If you had never heard Steamboat do all those family man promos and this is the first Steamboat promo you heard, you would know that the guy didn't know how to cut a promo. Yeah. Uh, I even put down my notes. This is the best promo by Steamboat in all of 89. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. Uh, I love the fact that he mentioned the heat, how hot it was, and how physically and mentally drained he was from fighting 20 minutes in 130-degree temperature. Um, I never really thought of that as far as a selling point to the feud. Uh, but it just to me, it just enhanced how bad that turn was of Lex Luger. It just added to it, added some fuel to the fire. Steamboat did an excellent job here. Just really, really good. And I'm, I'm glad you grabbed it because we like to trash Steamboat for his promos, and rightfully so. But this is he was spot on, and he nailed it this time. Uh, just awesome stuff right here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, I said, oh, no, here we go, another Steamboat promo. But I do listen to everything. I give everything an opportunity. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a quality show if we just skipped and skimmed and picked and choose. And so I listened and I was like, wow, very impressed. And I had to go back and grab it for sure. And the only issue I have here is immediately following the promo, we get a Ricky Steamboat squash match here against Fred Avery. And Steamboat comes out to the ring smiling and waving. And it's like he goes from being pissed off to Mr. Smiley Pants as he makes his way to the ring here. They do change that. He does change his demeanor before these shows are over heading into the bash. The next time we see him in action, he's far more straightforward, far more aggressive far more to the point. But here in this particular match, he's coming out as Mr. Smiley. And I just thought that didn't fit well when we're just watching him basically raging there in a promo. And 10 seconds later, he's smiling to his fans. So I just, just a little point that bothered me. Yeah. I think they even made a point to say that we're going to see a much, much more aggressive steamboat going into the match. I think Lance and Bob pushed that. And and then he gets in the ring and he's still doing arm drags and, his scientific wrestling yes. and doing the crossbody and things like that. He didn't, he didn't change just yet. And it just makes me wonder if this match was taped well before the promo was cut, that that could be why, but right. continuity issues. Shocker so, there. So Steamboat gets the win here over Avery with the uh, high cross body in a minute and 58 seconds. I love both announcers here though, because they were, they were clearly told to get, get this over, get this new, new attitude Steamboat over. And I thought they both did a really good job here. Bob Cottle notes, that the steamer is moving away from his scientific wrestling approach, which he really didn't hear, but it was cool that Bob was pointing that out. He said he's going to be more about the power moves, more about striking moving forward. Lance Russell does a really good job. He points out that Steamboat's been working the bigger guys in the ring now like Avery in order to prepare for someone the size and the power of Lex Luger. And here Fred Avery, at least 300 pounds, made a lot of sense. So I thought the announcers, both guys, did a great job in trying to get this new attitude Ricky Steamboat over and get this plot point over. Yeah, I, I agree. Bob Cotto and Lance Russell are the best commentators in the company at this point outside of Jim Ross. And uh, uh, I wish they had more TV, to be honest with you. What? Why would why would they need more TV? Jim Ross has four shows. They only have one. Why would why on earth would they take a second show from Jim Ross? Come on. Who now. knows? Yeah. You want to know who knows? Joe Pettacino knows. Great segue, Steve. It's highlights of a triple <laughs> crown battle royal. Uh, I don't know which which leg of the Bash Tour this is from, but we actually gets footage from a two-ring Triple Crown Battle Royal as part of the Bash Tour. 
and you see guys like Sting, the Skyscrapers, Norman, Al Green and George South, even the Ding Dongs are out there in this two-ring battle royal. Had to have been a fun one. I would love, if, if this exists somewhere, please, somebody throw this up on, online. I got to see this Bash Battle Royal. Yeah, it's pretty cool that they actually showed highlights from one of those Triple Crown Battle Royals. You didn't really get a lot of them. I think this is the only one we've seen leading up to the Bash, so really cool to see that for sure. Lex Luger promo time here with Bob Cottle. He replies to Ricky Steamboat. It is not going to be a no disqualification match. It's not going to happen. Lots of repeat stuff here in this promo. The whole, uh, I dict, uh, the NWA dictates the challengers. I dictate, you know, the, the type of match or whatever for Lex Luger. Nothing to see here in that one. And we go to the Steiner brothers taking on Rip Morgan and Jack A.O. Victory of the New Zealand militia. I only do that because you said you hate how Jim Ross does it. So, and the Steiner brothers are accompanied to the ring here by Missy Hyatt. And boy, Steve, Missy's jugs be a jiggling this week. She should have done the Jello Jigglers commercial, not Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah, definitely a jiggling. Yeah, and I wasn't the only one that noticed it. Clearly, Rick Steiner noticed it too as he continuously motioned for her to jiggle her jugs around here. The Steiners are announced not as the Steiner brothers, but as the All-Americans. And I, at first I thought this was the idiot ring announcer going to business for himself, but on commentary repeatedly, Lance Russell and Bob Cottle even refer to them as the All-Americans. So they were going to try to get that over. I didn't remember this at all. I don't know that this, this even goes on beyond this one taping, but I, I didn't really care for it. I mean, they're brothers, the All-Americans. I get it. They're all Americans, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't like it either. The Steiner brothers is perfect, and I'm glad that's what they went with. As soon as the match starts, Rick Steiner comedy ensues. They play keep away with Rip Morgan's hat. Scott and Rick toss it around over top of Morgan between his legs. Just comedy stuff from Rick Steiner, and Scott joins in as well. Jack Victory moves Morgan from the corner. Scott misses a charge. And then they wind up finally getting some heat on Scott Steiner there. Scott does manage to get the hot tag out to Rick, who nails a power slam on Rip Morgan, and he tags right back to Scott Steiner. So Scott Steiner builds up for this big hot tag. He hot tags Rick. Rick hits one move, a power slam, and tags right back out to Scott Steiner, who seemingly has already revived from, from the exit. Though, though, to his credit, he, he was wrestling the New Zealand militia, so maybe it didn't take that long to, to recover. It was just still really weird, I thought. Yeah, it was a quick tag right after the, the hot tag. So, But yeah, I, I'm with you, man. It's the New Zealand militia. It takes about 30 seconds to recover from that. What was even more weird was Scott tags in and Rip Morgan winds up wandering over into the corner, the Steiner's corner, and Rick delivers a one big punch and Rip Morgan kind of stumbles backwards into a schoolboy from Scott Steiner. The Steiners get the win with a schoolboy in four minutes and eight seconds. Some decent comedy spots in there. Not much, by the way, a whole lot of, of actual wrestling moves, however. Post-match was the best part of the match for me as Rick Steiner talks Missy Hyde into jiggling and showing off her goods so yay for that yeah the, the finish was kind of lackluster uh, I, I wonder if they did it to protect the militia i guess i don't know yeah it's kind of out of nowhere and, and flat missy doing her thing was was nice for sure yeah she opened that jacket and she knew what she had and she knew there was no bra going on today there usually isn't but uh, it was extra jiggly today so one more time for missy hyatt we wind up closing the episode of Pro with a promo from Ric Flair, but it's actually taped from Worldwide, so we'll wait till we get to the end of Worldwide, and we'll take a listen to this Flair promo then. So we're going to move on to Worldwide for July 15th, and this is the second of two shows that 
Richard Land was uh, kind enough to look for and find for us that were they were basically missing in action up until this point in the wrestling video community, uh, as far as I can tell. And I didn't I don't know that I don't have these, but they weren't they weren't readily available at the top of my boxes for me to convert or try to get to in time to do this show. So thank you, Mr. Land, for finding these two shows for us. And I really thank you for this episode because there's some really fun stuff on this worldwide, Steve. Yeah, I thought there was some good stuff on the pro. I mean, if you didn't oh, find yeah. that, we wouldn't we wouldn't see the Gorilla Press and Missy doing her thing and Steamboat promo, uh, the Steamboat promo. So I mean, yeah, definitely, there's a lot of good stuff on both of these shows. So thank you, uh, Mister Land. And Worldwide kicks off with Terry Funk in the ring against Chopper Steve Casey. Funk spits all over Chopper, and this wasn't one of those pretend spits. This went flying all over Steve Casey, and oh, what a way to start the match. <laughs> Yeah, disgusting. So the Funker tries to fight fair, though. He allows Casey to take a few shots back. Casey slaps Funk three or four times. Terry finally bails for a moment. Uh, He winds up taking Casey outside of the ring. They fight inside and outside of the ring. I think Funk tosses him out one side. They're back in the ring. He tosses him out the other side. Funk tries to use a chair. Tommy Young takes it from him. Funk taunts the fans. Uh, It's dueling chance. Did you hear the dueling chance in this match? Yeah, I heard a lot of sting. I heard a lot of flair. Definitely pretty cool. Definitely different. I had never heard a dueling chant all the way back in the 80s. I hadn't even heard a dueling chant in the 1990s. I really can't think of one off the top of my head until like maybe we want Cena. Cena sucks. Maybe there was one before that I'm not really registering right now. But to go back to 1989 and hear dueling chants, I don't even know if you want to call them dueling chants. I think it was the fans chanting both. We want sting. We want flair. And I think it started off as both. It was They were kind of battling. But it, by the time the, the chant actually ended, they were just alternating. We want Sting. We want Flair. Because both guys have been feuding with Terry Funk, so I thought that was really cool here. And uh, Terry Funk winds up posting Steve Casey repeatedly, at least a half a dozen times. Just keeps taking his head and ramming it into the steel post until Tommy Young calls for the disqualification. Four minutes and two seconds. I don't know if you noticed, but Terry Funk, no bumps in this match. This was taped after Funk suffered that fractured sacrum. And he's still out there getting over for the pay-per-view. Kudos to Terry Funk. He didn't need to be doing this. And he did a pretty good job of disguising the injury. Yeah, I couldn't tell he was injured. I, I just thought this was just another layer to his crazy gimmick that he liked to do or was doing at the time. And so I, I just chalked it up to that. I would never have known he was injured unless you told me. Yeah, this was taped. Uh, right. This was taped, I think, during the Texas portion of the Bash Tour. I could be mistaken there, but I did figure that this was taped after the injury announcement because this would have been taped a long time ago otherwise because he was out all the way back on June 22nd up until July 1st with this injury. So I started watching and immediately I could almost tell he kept arching his back backwards doing this funny walk. It was Terry Funk though, so it's really not noticeable because he does goofy things like that. But I did notice like he was very careful. He wasn't taking bumps. He was doing everything he could besides bumping. And then I started thinking to myself midway through this match, how is he going to hit a pile driver? They're going to do something else besides a pile driver. He can't take a, a pile driver with a fractured lower back. So I mean, so they wind up doing the DQ finish instead, which I thought was pretty cool here. And after the match, Terry Funk tears up the ring steps, starts stomping him, ripping him apart, and for no reason just moves away, moves over to the timekeeper's table. It's one of those really heavy, small tables and he grabs it and he brings it in the ring and it looks like he's trying to smash steve casey's skull in (laughs) with the table before the job guy mark smith tries to make the save and he gets dropped by terry funk as well finally uh big scott hall runs terry funk off at least momentarily but funk returns with the chair drives it across the back of scott hall as well 
and he's walking away funny, but he's still out there going, and God bless Terry Funk. What a way to just get that over one last time there a week before the show. Just doing everything he can, man. It's just a different world we lived in back then. And we get the replay of the Funk Pile Driver video as well as a replay from the Funk promo from the locker room. I think this is actually from last week on TV, the Terry Funk promo here in the locker room. And once again, as we already saw on Pro, it's the Sting and Muda contract signing with Gary Hart there, Sandy Scott there. So a lot of repeat stuff, and you'll see that again next week. And I'm not saying that to shit on the product. These are both syndicated shows. If you're not watching one, you're watching the other. But I think at this point, so close to the pay-per-view, this is all you really need. You need one good promo, one good segment to put on both shows to just drive everyone to order the pay-per-view. So putting the contract signing on both shows, I have no problem with that. You can't really guarantee that everybody's watching all of it. So uh, if you miss one and you grab the other, you're still going to see everything you saw would have saw on the other show. So you can never be too careful, especially when you're trying to sell a pay-per-view. So I have no issues with this at all. And it makes our viewing a little easier because we can fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get things done a little faster. It's the great Muda out there with Gary Hart taking on the future Glacier, Ray Lloyd. Lloyd actually blocks Muda's O'Connor roll attempt by holding onto the ropes. He turns around. Muda tries a kick. Lloyd catches it. And Muda busts out a reverse enziguri where he spins the opposite way and catches him with a, a flat foot to the chest. Really good bump there. And a backbreaker, and you know what comes after the backbreaker, Steve? The moonsault. The moonsault is back. And the great Muda gets the win in 224. All is right with the world. The moonsault is back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was perfect timing because, like I said, we're a week away from the pay-per-view. So he's doing the moonsault to remind Sting, like, this is another one that I have in the chamber to take you out, buddy. Just really good stuff. The psychology here and then the aftermath where they get in the ring and have the stare down the crowd popped huge for that. Just, just excellent. These guys are over. I think outside of funk and flair, I think this is the most anticipated match on the card by the fans because they love both guys. And uh, you don't say that a lot about NWA 89, as far as somebody like Muda, I mean, Muda is Muda. You knew he's going to get over, but you didn't have that back in the day where Hill got that over for a match. And uh, people could not wait to see this. They knew what they were going to get and couldn't wait. Yeah, and what you're referencing there is as Muda's match got going, Sting and Eddie Gilbert come out to scout Muda for the TV title match at the Bash, and immediately after Muda wins, he shit cans Ray Lloyd to the floor, and the camera cuts, and I don't mean it cuts like they cut time on the on the match. It just cuts to a different camera, and Sting's just all of a sudden standing there. That's just how fast Sting got in the ring, and he's just going nose to nose with Muda, and it gets a huge pop. As you already mentioned, it was really, really over here. And we see uh, Eddie Gilbert getting in the ring, counteracting Gary Hart, just to make sure Gary Hart doesn't get involved as well. Just to remind everyone what Eddie Gilbert's going to be able to do to offset Gary Hart during the title match at the pay-per-view. So everyone tells the story well here. The stage is set. We did see Muda and Sting get in each other's faces. It feels like, I don't know, at least six weeks ago, maybe more. And then nothing since then. Because Muda's been with Eddie Gilbert, Sting's been with Funk, and now that Funk's with Flair... At the bash, Sting needed something, so he gets Muda, and Eddie gets to be the corner man and work the Battle Royal. And that's unfortunate for Eddie Gilbert, but at the same time, like you pointed out, Sting and Muda, way, way hotter than Eddie Gilbert and Muda. Yeah, Sting's just on another level as far as being over with the crowd. I mean, people absolutely love him, 
it just makes you wonder, like, what happened to where he never was like a huge draw as far as champion. It didn't make doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me then. It doesn't make sense to me now. So, just crazy. It's the A and W Cream Soda King of the Slams, the Dynamic Dudes Wipeout. Steve, I encourage you right now to call one nine hundred seven two zero sixty two twelve to vote no. And guys, please really don't call that number because I have no idea what it is now, and I don't even want to know what it is now. But back then, if you were going to vote no, which I would have, that would be the number that you would have called. That might have been one time that I would have broken down and busted open that piggy bank and grabbed a dollar or two or whatever it cost just to vote no to make sure them damn dynamic dudes didn't win King of the Slam. Uh, you knew they, were, <laughs> they had no shot of winning. <laughs> I don't even know how you win. You vote yes or no every week. So if they lose, they lose. How do you find out who wins, who loses? Is this like a buildup to something? Like, is there going to be a culmination at some point in the future to where they announce who got the most yes votes? I, I feel like that's where we're leading, but when the hell do we get there? That's going to be interesting. There was Steiner watch. Maybe there should be A&W cream soda king of the slam watch, or maybe not. Yeah, we don't need that. I, I... I will say, like, I do like the Mountain Dew Slam of the Night where they kind of did that on WWF TV where it's just like a, a quick way to, you know, get your, your advertisement in and you got a wrestler over. It was like a short minute video on, like, Rick Martell or something. And, and it got him over. I mean, it just helped. It was just enhancement. This is like a we're trying to con you out of spending money to vote on something that is never going to have a conclusion. Just shit. Yeah, shame on you, NWA, and shame on you, A&W. And I, I used to drink their root beer when I was a kid, so shame on you. I will say their cream soda sounds good. I don't drink soda or pop anymore, so um, but a, a cream soda sounds decent right now. The Skyscrapers to the ring with Teddy Long, taking on Tony Suber and Mike Justice. Sid wants this match all by himself. But before he can even announce that, Dan Spivey already knows the routine, so he's already out there on the floor to let Sid wrestle this match by himself. Meanwhile, Teddy Long has to bring Spivey back into the ring so that they can have the conversation asking Spivey to go to the floor, even though he was already on the floor to begin with. I think if I was Teddy Long, I would have just ignored that and allowed Spivey to sit out there like it was planned all along and let Sid go. But instead, it's very obvious here. Spivey outside, he knows what's coming. He has to come back into the ring to be told to go back out of the ring. So I don't know if you caught that, but I just thought that was funny. Yeah, I picked up on it. I I think... Long sells it as he's going to have the night off. And that's kind of like what that's one of the things they enhanced and added to the skyscrapers, which I think is really cool. Uh, I think it's a great idea that these guys are so big and so powerful. They only need one of them to kick these guys' ass. And I agree with them. Right. So essentially, this is a handicap match with Sid Vicious taking on Tony Suber and Mike Justice. More of the same shit with Norman, too, on the rings on the outside. So we have Spivey out there. Teddy Long's out there. Norman shows up. I wish Spivey had, had uh, taken a shot at him. But it's Teddy Long. He's got the keys. He's keeping Norman in check. Back in the ring, Sid does a kip up. And the very next move, a drop kick. Sid Vicious with a drop kick. And a powerbomb ends it on Mike Justice in a minute and 43. I've been waiting for them to kind of figure it out. And like I said a little bit ago, they have. And uh, man, some very, very entertaining (laughs) matches, to say the least. These guys are just beating the brakes off of people. And I'm here for it. Joe Pettacino knows what does he know now. He talks about the Great American Bash, the upcoming matches at the pay-per-view. Perfect timing to be doing that. It's to a Jim Cornette promo in the locker room. I believe this is also a repeat promo from last week, the last episode of The Grenade. Cornette's in a, a locker room. I think this is the one with the black lockers behind him. He talks the War Games match, his Midnight Express, Dr. Death, the roadies, 
taking on the SST and Freebirds. He also talks about his tuxedo match with Pauly Dangerously. There's little left to be said here. Cornette, it, it was a really good promo. It wasn't a great promo by Jim Cornette, but it, I thought this was actually one of his better ones uh, in recent weeks uh, in, in regards to this feud. Yeah, I think it kind of fits what is going on with Flair and them and Funk. It's just you can only talk so much. And we kind of ran into this going into Wrestle War. You can only talk so much where you, you got to get there and get in the ring. And I know you can't speed up time and you can't just ignore it. Um, so you got to do these things. But it gets to a point where you're just kind of like, man, I wish we could get to this show just so they can get fresh material and things like that for their next feud or whatever. Yeah, decent promo by Cornette. Nothing nothing offensive or anything like that. Just solid promo that gets you excited for the matches. It's the Freebirds, the world tag team champion Freebirds. It's Garvin and Gordy in the ring with Michael Hayes on the outside, taking on Max Miles and John Brewer. Uh, we get no Gordy in this match. This is all Jimmy Garvin. And it's a 38 special. What makes this special is it goes 38 seconds. Thank God. Jimmy Garvin with the DDT on Miles gets the win. Gordy never even tags in. It's over before we know it. And uh, I really can't complain. Yeah, me either. These squashes are very, very quick. And I, I appreciate that because it just gives them more time to give these promos to where they're really pushing the great American bash. They're doing a great job of promoting this pay-per-view compared to what we've seen for, you know, some of the early clashes of this year, as well yeah. as maybe shot down rumble. They're doing an excellent job of promoting this and pushing it. So I'm all, I'm here for it for how well they're doing. It's a Ricky steamboat promo from the locker room as well. I don't remember if this is the same exact promo as we got from pro, or if this is the one from last week, I feel like it was the one from last week. I'm not really sure but they're continuing to hype the bash, like you said, with these promos. And we cut to the ring. And remember, Steamboat's an angry man now, Steve. And this more reflects the angry Steamboat than the one we saw on Probe. Because Steamboat comes to the ring, he is not smiling. He's eyeballing his opponent, the bounty hunter, all the way down the aisle, all the way to the ring. He doesn't look at the fans. He doesn't smile. He doesn't wave. It's angry Steamboat. It's serious Steamboat. And he gets the win in a minute and 45 seconds with the crossbody block from the Tom Probe. And I thought a really nice touch after the match. Steamboat's so angry, and he's wanting to take it out on the bounty hunter. He actually grabs the bounty hunter by the mask after the match. Ricky Steamboat. And threatens to punch him again, threatens to deck him again until the referee talks him out of it. So he's mad, Steve, and uh, I really bought it here. Yeah, I did too. Uh, man, like I said, Steamboat really he took some time off after the Luger turning on him. And ever since he's been back consistently week after week, He's been really good. I like the way he's evolving his character. He was the opposite, the complete opposite of Ric Flair, you know, the family guy compared to the living life in the fast lane type deal like Flair did. And now he's just pissed off. He has heat. He's mad. He wants to kick Lex Luger's ass, and he's showing it. Everything's out the window. I'm ready to kick this dude's ass. And um, it's a nice, it's a nice uh, side of Ricky Steamboat that you don't really see very often. It's a Lex Luger promo in the Iowa with Jim Ross. This is actually recorded from last week, last episode of The Grenade. He is class that will never pass. It's the original class that will never pass promo. Uh, I say original because uh, Luger does use that line uh, two or three times here in these next couple of weeks. And we go to the main event of Worldwide. It's Rick and Scott Steiner along with Missy Hyatt taking on Mike Rotunda and Kevin Sullivan, the not-Varsity Club. This is a regular match, Steve, a regular tag team, or as they used to call the Australian Rules tag team match. They've got the Tornado match coming up at the Bash pay-per-view, so hopefully by then that ends this shit forever and we never have to see this tag team match again. Uh, the Steiners need new opponents. I agree 100%. 
uh, even the varsity club needs something because they really they have nothing ever since Doc left them. They've been kind of just out there, Sullivan and everything. So I think they need something to do. And, and I know they end up getting things towards the end and shit happens with Rotunda. But, yeah, these dudes need to get away from each other. It's well past time. So the last time we saw these two tag teams compete on TV, the story that was being told was the heels absolutely could not control the Steiners. They couldn't get them in their corner. They couldn't control the match. Here's a little bit different. It's Sullivan and Rotunda. They've learned a little bit. They dominate the first two, three minutes of the match. Scott attempts a comeback, but Rotunda pulls the rope down. Scott goes falling through the middle rope to the floor. Mike Rotunda distracts the referee so Sullivan can throw Scott again back over the top rope to the floor on the other side of the ring. Uh, Rick comes around, protects Scott Steiner. Missy comes running around, both of them. Kevin Sullivan's chasing her, so Rick now protecting Missy and Scott Steiner, who's laid out on the floor. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Mike Rotunda with a butterfly suplex on Scott. Rick breaks up the count. The heels continue to dominate the match, though. Mike goes into the old, ever-popular abdominal stretch O-Doom that we always loved when the IRS used to use that move. Of course, IRS used to use the rope. Here, Kevin Sullivan is his rope. Kevin Sullivan assists him and adding leverage to the abdominal stretch. You can do it any which way you want. It's still a boring move. Just, uh, you know, Tony Gurria used to use it. So that explains it right there. <laughs> yeah, just your typical rotunda match. Nothing nothing special, nothing terrible. Just kind of there. Rotunda winds up telegraphing a backdrop, gets booted by Scott Steiner. We get the hot tag to Rick. Steiner line on Rotunda, and he goes straight down. Sullivan breaks up the count, and it turns into a four-way melee. Sullivan tosses Rick Steiner to the floor. Goes outside, grabs a chair. This was a great spot. Sullivan busts the chair over Rick Steiner's head, and Steiner just stands there, no-selling it. And as the crowd realizes he's no-selling it, the pop gets louder and louder. And it was just hilarious. Sullivan just standing there with this dumb look on his face like, I don't understand. I hit you with the chair. And Rick snatches the chair from him, starts chasing him. But that was basically the DQ. The referee called for a disqualification when Sullivan bashed Steiner over the head with the chair. So the Steiners get the win in five minutes and ten seconds. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of uneventful. Really nothing crazy happened. And just, it's kind of just there. It wasn't nothing special. You didn't really see any of the major moves that the Steiners did. It was just kind of, it was kind of boring. I was hoping for more. But like you said, these guys have fought each other tooth and nail for way too long. And it's time to get on, get on with it. Yeah, the feud is just old. Uh, but the Steiners, Rick in particular, it just doesn't get old. Scott with the moves doesn't get old. He's still inventing new things. Rick, the character, is you know always lively, always something new, always something fun, almost pretty much every time he's out there. I don't know how you can come up with this many ideas, but he does, and he continues to get over. And usually when you're lumped into a feud that is boring, both sides tend to bore you until they're out of that feud, and that's just not the case here with the Steiners. So they're the only ones keeping this feud on life support right now. They're the only ones keeping this feud interesting, for me anyway, until both of these teams can split off and do other things after this. I agree 100% with that. And we close the show with a Ric Flair promo at ringside with Jim Ross. Flair comes down in a suit, but it doesn't take him long before he's just, his eyes are bulging out and he's cutting this crazy promo and he's ripping his shirt off and the buttons are flying and the tie gets undone a little bit. And I tried to record this because I really loved this promo. I really did. I thought this was a really good promo. But the problem was when I went back to edit it, I couldn't pick up half of the words Ric Flair was saying, because the crowd is just that damn loud here. He is over. He has this crowd. Now, if you watch the video, you can pick it up pretty damn well. But for some reason on audio, without being able to watch Flair actually speaking, it's hard to make out some of the things he's saying. So I didn't 
use the soundbite here for this show, but I do promise to put the video up on Twitter. So I encourage you guys by the time you hear this to go on to Twitter and listen to this Ric Flair promo. He's at ringside with Jim Ross and there's no mistaking it. Uh, it doesn't take him long to tear off his suit. You'll know which promo it is. And uh, Flair comes down. He says, like it, love it. You're going to have more of it. Woo. He tears his shirt. The buttons go flying. Flair just owns these fans. As I already pointed out, he says, Funk shouldn't have let Flair live. Funk will bleed at the great American bat. Somebody bleeds. He got, he got it half right. Anyway, he Flair says there's one champion and you're looking at him. And he does the old to be the man promo and just, woo. I thought it was a great promo from Ric Flair, Steve. Oh, it was awesome. My notes here. Just what a presence. It's so great having him back on TV. I mean, it really enhances it. It makes Funk raise his level even higher than what he was at. He freaking threw his suit jacket in the crowd. He threw his glasses in the ring or in the crowd somewhere. Ripped his buttons off. I mean, he was all over the place. And I really feel like he really is really enjoying this face run. It seems genuine. And the fact that the crowd is loving him so much, I think it really impacts him to a degree where he's having a good time with it and um you can really see that in his promos i I know he's pissed off at funk and things like that but he's really playing up this crowd and how much he they're cheering him and he's buying into it and it's just awesome it's really really good yeah and as i originally watched this promo i was thinking to myself damn i hope this translates well to audio because the crowd was just that damn loud so i wasn't necessarily surprised when i when i tried to edit it and I listened to it and I'm like, I can hear him, but I don't know if everybody else can hear him, you know, cause I'd already heard the promo and I knew what he was saying. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to put this video, this promo up on Twitter. So you guys go and enjoy that. It's a, one of the better flair promos leading into the bash. And we're going to take you, we're going to lead you in to the 605 program world championship wrestling for July 15th. This is the first episode after they end on the WWE network. So the footage now is more obscure. I do have most of it. I recorded most of it myself on VHS and we're going to be using that whenever we can. Uh, but yeah, there's, it ends on July 8th on the WWE network. So this is where things get a little harder to find. I'm sure it's out there if you guys look for it though. And if not, we'll, we'll guide you right through all the shows. And we kick the show off highlights of the power hour cage match and the whole angle with the birds and SST attacking the road warriors, putting Hawk on a stretcher. Michael Hayes is back co-hosting this week. So boo. And if it wasn't bad enough, Hayes is co-hosting the very first match in the show. It's the dynamic dudes. And they're taking on from out of town, snake Brown and Fred Avery and oh geez, they've had skateboards. They've had Frisbees and now they have beach balls. The dynamic dudes bring beach balls out to the ring and actually play catch with one of the fans they actually bring the kid and put him up on the apron i don't know how safe that was but they play catch with the kid in these beach balls so now they've turned into the ding dongs or the kids favorite tag team or they're supposed to be the kids favorite tag team and we got beach balls out there which is a sign of a boring match so at least they knew hey if they're gonna boo us or or, or fall asleep anyway let's give them beach balls to play with (laughs) pretty much it's really the only thing that's going to help the dynamic dudes at this point and i don't know if it's just me but I swear to you, this entire gimmick, this dynamic dudes gimmick, the entire shtick, it just feels phonier and phonier and more forced week by week. Usually you learn to adapt to your gimmick. You may never buy all the way in, but you learn to adapt to it. But to me, the dudes, they manage to get shittier as the weeks progress, at least playing the gimmick up. You can tell when people don't buy in to what they're trying to be put out there to be. And uh, these guys are two examples of that. They didn't like the gimmick, I don't think. Uh, it's not what they wanted. 
it's not something they wanted to do. And you can see that because, like you said, they're not getting any better. They're either staying flat and stagnant or they're regressing. That's not what you want when people are trying to invest time and effort into you. Uh, to be honest with like me personally, I, if I was given every opportunity that these guys had, all the vignettes, all the, everything they got every week, new videos, new videos, you're doing new things. They're, they're paying for you to get fancy attire and stuff like that. I, I would do my damnedest to make it work. I mean, they're, they clearly have a vision for you. They want you to succeed. It's up to me to do everything I can to make it happen. I don't know if they actually tried that. Yeah, it's clear to me at this point they don't get their own gimmick, and after this many weeks, it's you have to assume they never will, uh, including their offense and teamwork together. They just really can't seem to get too much down as a tag team, and this is a generic match, especially for young guys who should be able to go in there and do more than just the basics. This is very, uh, very much a basic match. Ace does a decent top rope clothesline at the end of the match. They do the wipeout on Avery and get the win in 5 minutes and 45 seconds of 6 a six-minute squash with the dudes, uh, I'll pass. Yeah, same here. Uh, the one note that I have, I was like, hopefully this goes quick because these two will do nothing to help out the dudes. Fred Avery and Snake Brown is not who they need to be in the ring with to do better. It's another replay of the Terry Funk Piledriver video, and that takes us into our next match. It's the Skyscrapers taking on Lee Scott and Dwayne Bruce, and that just sounded scary on paper, knowing what Lee Scott typically does and knowing what's happened to Dwayne Bruce in there with the uh, Sid Vicious in the past. I had a bad feeling about this match going in, but everyone seems to survive it, so that's a good thing. Teddy Long joins commentary. More Arsenio Hall talk here. Norman once again at ringside. He's back to the toothbrush gimmick, brushing his teeth this week. Lee Scott tries a full Nelson on Sid Vicious, which I just found absolutely comical, both the visual and just the idea that Lee Scott is putting a full Nelson on Sid Vicious. Sid winds up pressing. Lee Scott onto Spivey's knee, and I love this. I, I thought it was really nice of Dan Spivey. Dan actually puts his arms under Scott before he lands to protect him on the way down. So while Sid's just trying to kill people, Dan Spivey's being more of the pro. He's like, well, we got we to gotta beat this guy up again, especially Lee Scott. They're going to want to get him back in the ring, all the things they can do to him. So Dan pr- protects Lee Scott here so he can live to fight another day. However, Spivey does land the razor's edge for lack of a better term here in 89 on Lee Scott. And Sid presses Dwayne Bruce out on his debut, and this time he presses him back in to the ring. So I thought that was very apropos. Sid presses Dwayne Bruce out of the ring in his debut, and here in this match, Dwayne Bruce is on the floor, so Sid helps him back in by pressing him back into the ring. And he hits the top rope again, just as he did on the way out. He hits the top rope again on the way back in. I thought that was kind of comical. And a much safer landing in the ring than it was outside of the ring. Spike Powerbomb ends this one in a minute and 41. Just another typical Skyscrapers match. And I, I did pick up on Spivey protecting Lee Scott there. Uh, good for him. Thought it was pretty funny him getting thrown back in the ring too at the end. One of the notes I did have three times in one month for Dwayne Bruce. Poor Bruce. <laughs> That's enough. He's probably had enough of Sid and Spivey at this point. It's uh, more cage match highlights between the birds and the roadies from the power hour. And we're into a singles match involving Dr. Death, Steve Williams taking on Tony Suber. We haven't seen Suber in quite a while. Cool to see him back. Nice burly big guy job guy here. Suber blows a spot and doc covers it up by kind of picking him up in what I would refer to as an angle slam Olympic slam position and turns it into a Samoan drop. So it was a cool looking move and doc, Pretty much tried to cover up a blown spot there. And immediately after that, it's the Oklahoma Stampede. Doc gets up too early at two when he makes the cover. Did you catch that? Yeah, I did. Doc makes the cover. The referee goes one, 
too. And Doc gets up. And as soon as he gets up, he realizes, oh, shit, I got up too early. He drops back down. And Tommy Young basically just makes one more count. There's no reason to start all over again. Uh, Jim Ross even covers it up, says, you can count to three. You can count to 33. Uh, Doc gets the win here in a minute and 18 seconds. It's uh, another promo with Jim Cornette here. He relives some of their feud. Again, the more video footage of the Paulie and Cornette feud. I think it might even be the same exact footage we saw during the Paulie promo. This time it's Cornette telling his narrative of the story. It's not exactly Hogan and Seg- Savage and the Mega Powers explode, but it's kind of cool that we're seeing video footage and both uh, managers are telling their side of the story. Cornette says they can't wrestle, but this will be a fight. He says Paulie says that Paulie has already proclaimed that Dangerously will retire after the match as the winner. Cornette tells him, you will retire in a body cast. So Jim Cornette looking for a fight. He doesn't want this to be a comedy match. He made that clear in several of his shoots. If they were going to go into this match, it wasn't going to be another comedy pull down to your underwear match. There was actually going to be some fighting involved. So Cornette trying to sell this for everything he can. Yeah, it was a solid promo. I know Paulie says he's going to retire Jim Cornette as well because he's going to be six feet under. So they're ready to get at each other. Solid promo. In case you guys didn't know, the danger zone is back and out comes world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. Paul E. Dangerously calls this the most important match in the history of wrestling. Dangerously states he picked, he handpicked Ric Flair as his guest this week because he has questions for the nature boy and out comes the nature boy. Thank you very much for coming. You know, everybody thinks that I'm, I like to be Mr. Bad Guy on TV. I like to be a smart aleck, but I tell you what, I got to give you credit. You are a man with more integrity and more guts than anybody I know, and there's a reason behind it, and that's the one question I want to ask you today, okay? Not even going to keep this around. You know, my dad's a lawyer. Anytime I would do something that would cost me a lawsuit, my dad would bring me up to New York, and in a heartbeat, he'd put me in my place. Because that's the benefit of having a dad that went to law school. Very simple. Daddy, for you, used to be a doctor, a surgeon, a prominent physician. Not just in Minnesota, but all around the country, because he was written up in all the medical journals. What has daddy been teaching you? Algebra? Because you, as everybody knows, broke your back in a plane crash. Terry Funk rammed your neck into the floor. You got compressed vertebrae. And Daddy, the physician, is telling you to go into the ring and risk your life for the heavyweight wrestling championship of the world. First of all, Mr. Dangerously, you don't know me well enough to refer to my father as anyone other than Dr. Flair. I haven't had a daddy since I was 10 years old. I've had a father that I called Sir, pal. And the one thing that my dad taught me in life was that if you want something, you go out and get it because very few things come free. Let me say one thing else to you. Last week, my father had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of watching you out here kissing Terry Funk. So right now, Paul, you and your small demeanor better find a place to walk because right now we're going to call this, whether you like it 
or don't like it, learn to love it. It's Ric Flair's zone right now. And to the point, on July 23rd, 1989, in Baltimore, Maryland, Terry Funk, you have got the distinct privilege of proving to the entire world if, in fact, you are the man you have preached to this great wrestling congregation that you are. I say you're not. And I say that in Baltimore, Maryland, because I've got to have it that way, that you will be carried out on a stretcher and that your wrestling career will be terminated. You took your best shot. You know, I can't get over this. Thank you. You know what? I'm starting to like this. The bottom line is, Funk, in Baltimore, I'm making a promise to a lot of fine people, pal. You are going to pay the price woo, of a wrestling lifetime. Funk took his best shot, but Flair's still here. And Flair makes a promise to a lot of fine people, meaning the fans, that Funk is going to pay the price of a wrestling lifetime. Woo! What'd you think of this Danger Zone? It was pretty good. Um, I think dangerously bringing up Flair's dad and things like that made Flair a little bit serious instead of doing his his little shtick that he's been doing where he's just yelling at the top of his lungs. Yeah. It kind of made him be a little bit more serious and more thoughtful uh, to what he was saying. And then obviously it kind of broke down and that's what he did. And I thought it was excellent. Ric Flair has been the, my favorite part of the show here. An interesting contrast of styles follows this promo. It's the great Muda taking on Scott Hall. I don't, I didn't know that that match ever happened. And when I heard about it, I was really scratching my head how this was going to turn out. Hall gets a jobber entrance. He's already in the ring awaiting the great Muda. looks like a million bucks, but even with all that time in the AWA, he just doesn't seem ready for this type of a push based on what we've seen so far with Hall in the ring here in the NWA. Yeah, he's he's lost. It seems like he's lost out there. Um, he doesn't know what to do in the ring. He doesn't know what he wants to be. It's not very entertaining at all. Yeah, I call it that Jimmy Powers cell. He does the drop kicks. He's up jumping around, flailing his arms all about, the big giant's cheesy smile on his face. It just doesn't match the Scott Hall we know, but it just doesn't match his, really, his look, even here in 89. And, the, and being that tall and being that size of a man, some of the moves he's using... He doesn't need to do these things. They, they don't look right on him. The drop kicks, the hip tosses. He should be, I don't know. And then in this match, it's more of the basics. And his power wins out early on on Muda. But Muda goes into a chin lock. Hall makes the comeback. He whiffs on a hip toss. He try, This was actually, he was trying to hip toss Muda. Muda takes the bump, but Scott Hall whiffs. He doesn't really lock arms with Muda. So it looked pretty sloppy there. Clothesline bumps Muda to the floor. Hall picks Muda up into a double-handed choke in the air. He gets the red mist to the face. Scott Hall winds up blinded and choked out. He breaks free of Muda, uh, but Muda chops him in the throat and gets the win there. Great visual, but lame finish. And Muda gets the win five minutes, 41 seconds. Yeah, the blood all over Hall, or the mist all over Hall looked awesome, but yeah, yeah, very flat finish. 
Yeah, finish finish definitely wasn't very good. The the chop to the throat he's been using quite a bit. Thank God we saw the the moonsault this weekend too. But yeah, that chop to the throat he's been using it quite a bit lately for a finish, and I I, I could do without that. And we go straight from the ring into a promo with the great Muda and Gary Hart. Muda proves he can handle any style, says Gary Hart. Martial arts, scientific wrestling, brawling. Hart says Eddie Gilbert has been granted permission to play corner man for Sting at the Bash because the NWA doesn't want a title change. They don't want Muda to win the belt. So he's blaming the NWA. They're sabotaging this match, trying to get Eddie Gilbert to aid Sting in a win here. Hart says no matter, Muda will be the new TV champion irregardless. And Muda has a message. Muda then walks up in the front of Hart and slits his throat, signifying the end of Sting. Great Muda looked cool with the dark red mist on his mouth here. He kept sticking his tongue out. And it was just dark red. It looked like blood pouring out of Muda's mouth. I thought that was really, really cool look here for the great Muda during this promo. Yeah, he looked awesome. And then, like you said, he did the throat, sl- slit the throat, and then did a thumbs down. And I thought it was even emphasized even better by Gary Hart saying, he said after that, I guess that says it all and it's over. I thought that was very well done by Gary Hart. Gary Hart's been on fire ever since he got away from Dickie Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, and you can't blame Dick Murdoch for that. I mean, this Gary Hart's just no, no. a different promo altogether. It's different from the Al Perez, the Larry Zabisco, the Abdullah the Butcher, the Bob Orton, all that stuff we've seen in the past. He's feeling this, I think. I think he realizes there's money here, and he's going to ride that money, and he's so he's the Gary Hart of old, the 1970s Gary Hart, the Gary Hart who actually gave a shit, and is he's doing a great job. I, I will, yeah. I will say that he's doing done a complete 180 since he's taken over as Muda's manager uh, from everything we saw in the first half year or the first four or five months with Gary Hart. Yeah, and I didn't mean that in a, a knock on Murdoch. I just felt no, like no, I know he, he took he took liberties on Murdoch by saying stupid stuff because he's probably a little bit closer to Murdoch and yeah. has history there. So I just think he took some liberties and brought up racism and, and just doing stupid shit that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, whereas this, it's just business. And um, he's selling a few because Muda can't talk. So he's doing his best to enhance Muda, and I, that's that's his bread and butter. So I, I'm really enjoying Gary Hart right now. It's promo time with Lex Luger, and Lex has had a week to think about the no-DQ stipulation Ricky Steamboat wanted. He wants the no-DQ match at the Great American Bash. So Lex has had a week, and uh, once again, he tells Steamboat, you do not dictate shit, Ricky Steamboat. Lex Luger is a class athlete, so he's going to give Steamer a classic match. Ricky Steamboat and Lex Luger in a classic match? Hmm, I don't know. It could be. I don't know that Lex Luger's having too many classics, but he's just he is determined this is not going to be a no-DQ match. He's been cutting the same sort of promo every single show for the last two or three weeks. And And it's really not his fault because they continue to sell the same story every single week. They got Steamboat out here every week asking for the no DQ. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. And I feel like Luger was on fire with those promos right after he turned. And then he got stuck on this. I'm the best athlete in sports. I don't, nobody dictates to me. I'm doing whatever I want and things like that. And it's really, it's not necessarily his fault. It's just, this is terrible. And I truly, I don't even understand the entire logic behind this whole no DQ thing. Steamer is a scientific guy, but he wants the no DQ. And I get he wants it because 
Luger turned on him and he pissed him off, but does Steamboat really know a whole lot about a no-disqualification style of match, whereas Luger probably does? Luger's the heel, and he doesn't want it, even though he knows all the tricks. He's the dirtiest player in the game now, or so says Lex Luger. Shouldn't he want the no-DQ match? Isn't Wouldn't that be in his favor? It almost feels like the opposite thing's happening here, and I get why Steamboat's doing it. I just don't understand why they're playing up so much that Luger doesn't want to do it and steamer has no leverage to get this match or to have lex luger agree to this match so i'm not sure why he's so gung-ho on trying to force the champion into doing a gimmick match when steam i don't know it's just uh they keep selling it but lex keeps saying no it's the same thing every week and he's the heel they're not doing anything to escalate it to where lex is like okay you know what you want to attack me with a chair steamboat they could have done that okay fine it's a no dq match but they don't do that because Steamboat won't show up on any of these damn shows. <laughs> so it's just, uh, I don't know, man. It just seems like if Steamboat's not going to do anything to get Luger to change his mind, why do you keep harping on this week after week? You're basically telling the fans this match is going to happen. I mean, that's just basically the way wrestling's laid out. You don't play something up for weeks, and then you don't give it to them. There's usually something that happens, and then you give it to them. And we don't see that here at the Bash. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's stupid. I kind of get, like, Steamboat wants it because Luger used the chair on him, so he wants revenge, and not to... He still wants to win the belt, but he doesn't He doesn't want to get disqualified, so he wants that no DQ so he can get revenge on him in that sense. And I get why Luger doesn't want it. He's like, no, you're going to beat me in a wrestling match, because what I did wasn't a wrestling match. It was just me beating your ass type deal. So I get it, but you don't do this without a payoff, and that, that's kind of what we got here, and that's unfortunate. I want to give a big shout out to the one and only Retro Network. That's the Retro Network. You can find their site over at theretronetwork.com. Join Jason, Mickey, and the crew as they do a deep dive into eras gone by and especially the 80s and 90s. Two decades I'm happy to admit I grew up in. The Retro Network offers a little bit of everything for everyone who's looking to relive those youthful memories, grab hold of that nostalgic feeling, or for you youngins out there who want to see what the fuss was all about. We're talking podcasts, music playlists, articles covering everything from movie reviews to toys to cartoons and everything in between. They even have great holiday theme posts going on. There's great videos featuring segments like the Wax Pack Flashback where they unseal decades old trading cards. I find myself having fun every time I visit and there's always something new for you to enjoy every day you pop on there. You can follow the Retro Network on Twitter at TRN Social and their website again is theretronetwork.com. Please come relive your childhood with Jason, Mickey, and the crew at theretronetwork.com. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, the battles within, exclusively on WrestleCopia.com. And we head over to the Power Hour for July 21st, 
And we kick things off with Big Sid Vicious in the ring against Davey Rich. This match was taped in Fort Worth, another decent-looking arena, something cool you don't really get to see all the time. Dan Spivey comes down to support Sid Vicious, but not during the entrance. He waits for Sid to get that big entrance on his own before Spivey comes down and, and plays corner man to his buddy Sid. Not that Sid really needs it here. He's taking on Davey Rich of the Party Patrol, who we haven't seen a whole lot of other than that promo quite a while back yet. Davey tries the full Nelson, same as Lee Scott did the other day. Uh, this time, though, uh, it's it's a little bit of a different situation. No, he doesn't get the best of Sid Vicious. In fact, I thought this match went on far too long for a Sid Vicious squash, and Rich had multiple opportunities here. Uh, too many opportunities. Not that he gets anywhere with any of them, but there's a lot of sticking and moving, Sid missing moves, Davey Rich crawling through his legs. I guess they wanted to push the match out a little bit, and Davey Rich is maybe a higher tier than just your average job guy, but... When you're in there against Sid, I don't think that that should matter. And Sid finally levels him with an inside-out clothesline. There's just way too much downtime and stalling here from Sid and not a whole lot going on from Davey Rich. And Sid doing nerve holds, just unnecessary stuff, I thought. And finally, after six minutes, the powerbomb ends it. Sid Vicious gets the win. Very slow. I think it's just because it's power hour, and they only do the three matches usually, so they make them go a little bit longer. But yeah, this was too much. I thought Sid doesn't need to be in these extended squashes. One, he can't really handle it. And two, it just kind of devalues what he is. But I got to ask, man, did you pick up on what Cornette said at the start of the show about Missy Hyatt? I did not. You'll have to refresh me. (laughs) Cornette said that Missy's going to be on the Johnny Carson show talking about gun control, and she's going to point a pair of 38s at him. (laughs) Hubba, hubba. Oh, Lord. Uh, I popped. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, just uh, that's uh, a good line from Cornette. Sometimes he has some winners here that you can get away with, and that that sounds like a good one. I I don't know how that that escaped me. Maybe I was just jotting down some notes, and I wasn't really uh, invested in the uh, opening monologue with Jim Ross and Cornette. But you really can't miss it. They're they're pretty good together. Yeah, they are. It's the Wrestling News Network with Gordon Sully, and it's the weekend of the Great American Bash pay-per-view. I should point that out. So Gordon Sully's talking all about the Bash, and he does even bring up the WWF. He says that Bobby Heenan quit primetime wrestling. It's literally leading into the Bobby Heenan show, obviously, at this point in time. He doesn't actually call it primetime, though. They're not allowed to get over the WWF television programming. So he says Bobby Heenan quit his show, or the show he hosts. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny, and... Sully also sells a a piece coming up on entertainment tonight. It's going to be discussing the war between the WWF and the NWA. So uh, that was pretty cool. So we're back to talking WWF here. And it was always nice to hear Bobby Heenan mentioned on on another program. Yeah, for sure. And the top 10 changes again. Clearly, we see on the top 10 list here, Steve, Ranger Ross is number 10. Tommy Rich is number nine. That means that Dick Murdoch has been bumped off the top 10. However... And you really had to have been paying attention closely to even notice this. Gordon Sully runs down the top 10 verbally. And as he does, he says, number 10 is Tommy Rich. Number nine is Dick Murdoch. But I'm looking on the screen and I see Ranger Ross is 10 and Tommy Rich is nine. And what happened here is the image was made far after Gordon Sully recorded the WNN. And by this point, Dick Murdoch is gone from the NWA. So he's obviously been removed from the actual image. He's no longer in the top 10. So Dick Murdoch gone. And I always loved early on when uh, Gordon Sully would refer to Sting as the Sting. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on the, the mishap there. I didn't realize Murdoch was out of the company, so uh, my note was they have no clue what the hell's going on. 
yeah, Murdoch's gone and Sully recorded this, you know, a couple weeks ahead of time. You really can't plan for that. But at the same time, it doesn't take long to redo this top 10 of voiceover. I mean, come on. Right. Well, Gordon may have been into the cocktails by that point. Maybe a few screwdrivers too many. Yeah, but I think Murdoch was gone. I don't really remember. I don't have the results in front of me. But I do remember he leaves during the middle of this bash. So he's probably been gone at least a week at this point. So Murdoch's on the way out. I don't know if we see him anymore here on TV or not. But uh, I do know he's he's gone from the NWA by this point, which explains why the top 10 uh, shifted after Gordon Sully recorded the WNN. It's back to the ring with uh, what an odd six-man tag this is. The babyface team of Flying Brian Pillman teaming up with Wildfire Tommy Rich and Big Scott Hall. What a threesome that makes. They take on the job guys of DJ Meadows, Wild Bill Irwin, and it's the return of the Iron Sheik. And you pay attention! You are an idiot! The Iron Sheik is back here. And yes, I said the Iron Sheik. What a crew, both teams. Uh, they do their damnedest, though, to de-emphasize the Sheik here. He's not really played up. They don't really cut to him when they announce him. He doesn't even have his garb on. He's essentially a jobber standing in the ring awaiting the match. And the story goes here, the TBS, or not the TBS, the Turner Brass forced the NWA to bring the Iron Sheik back to TV, temporarily anyway, because he sucks so bad he's not here very long. But the Turner Brass, they, they felt that they couldn't justify paying the Sheik's $100,000 contract for him to sit at home for the next, uh, God, uh, nine months, eight months, something like that. So it's Sheik that will actually make them pay, both in money and for bringing him back, his immobile ass back here in the NWA. It's just laughable. They sent the Midnight's packing because, for whatever reason, but they pay Iron Sheik $100,000 in 1989. To be a top guy. Let, let that sink in. Hey, who do you steal, you punk of bitch? I tell a Ted Turner, you breaking me back. I break Ted Turner's back. I fuck his ass. I make him humble, Steve. I make him humble. Yallah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Gotta love Sheik, though. So, Bill, I wanted to say Sheik and Pillman got heat. Uh, or excuse me, I wanted to say Sheik and Irwin got heat on Brian Pillman here, but it's really basically Bill Irwin getting the heat because the Iron Sheik does next to nothing, comes in and locks in the camel clutch on Brian Pillman, but Scott Hall breaks that up pretty quickly. TJ Meadows gets the tag, so you know they're going home now. Scott Hall whips him off the ropes, does the drop down. TJ Meadows runs right into a Tommy Rich Thez press. Tommy Rich ends this match, thankfully, a match that went 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Trash. What the hell are they doing with Brian Pillman? I mean, goodness, you can't find something better than this. Yeah, I mean, you got these three guys, and I get why Scott Hall's not doing the finish because I haven't even seen him use a move other than a cradle at this point. But you pick Tommy Rich over Brian Pillman for a flashy finish, and Bill Irwin and Iron Sheik, oh, my God, what a what a tandem. And it's not even the last time we see them team up. Lord help us. It's Funk's Grill with the fabulous Freebirds, and Terry wants to really – put me through some pain here as he introduces them one at a time so first it's jimmy garvin then it's michael hayes and finally they do save the best for last terry bam bam gordy is out last and i really didn't understand the point of this promo because i don't know if i missed it but i really don't think they ever really mention war games or anyone they're feuding with jimmy garvin makes a joke when he comes out he says what do you have when you have 30 beautiful women in a room with the free birds not enough women. I thought that was a pretty good joke, actually. I'll give Jimmy Garvin credit there. 
the wheels fell off after that. Yeah, the wheels fell off because out comes Michael Hayes, who loves feeling on himself, and he thinks Terry Funk will beat Ric Flair, and the Birds and Funk will all be champions after the Great American Bash. Well, that makes sense, Michael Hayes, at least on your end. You guys aren't defending your titles. You're in war games. But yeah, he thinks Terry Funk's going to walk off champion. So he talks about the Flair and Funk match, but doesn't even talk about their match, which is kind of important. It's war games, asshole. Hayes really scares me here, and thank God I know the history, and I know the birds end in 92 pretty much for the most part. Uh, But he promises that we had an entire decade of the birds, and this is going to be the Freebirds 2.0, another decade of the Freebirds. That was scary to think about. I'm glad that didn't happen. Me too. (laughs) Me too. And they close this segment, Terry Funk looking over at Terry Gordy, and it's really the only two guys I care about in the entire room right now. And Terry likes Terry, Funk likes Gordy because his name, his first name is Terry. And so they they, uh, give each other fist bumps for having the name Terry. And there's just no mention of war games here. This really felt absolutely pointless and worthless. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing to it. It's not the best Funk Skrill at all. They have no idea how to handle these shows or what to do with them. They have no idea. And speaking of Dick Murdoch leaving the company, he's here on this show taking on Terry Gordy from the Omni. It's the Battle of the Bulls, or at least that's what they're selling the match as, two big guys, burly guys out there taking on one another. So Gordy versus Murdoch from the Omni. Gordy is with both Freebirds. It's Hayes and Garvin at ringside, and you see two rings here. So I'm wondering, based on this being recorded, if this is the two-ring Battle Royal clips that we got if they were from the Omni. It would make sense if so. Terry Gordy takes lessons from Michael Hayes early on as he bails from the ring and he tries to stall as much as possible. I was like, Gordy, please walk the other way. Go back towards the light. Get away from that dark side. Uh, just, uh, I wasn't happy with that. It's back and forth once Gordy finally gets in the ring. Uh, they're bo- they're, they go in both rings. I wouldn't expect anything less from, from Dick Murdoch bumping over to the second ring, back to the first ring. Lots of punching, which is fine here because they both make it look really good. So it's not your typical punching. It really looks like they're beating the hell out of each other. Murdoch winds up dropping the dusty elbow, baby. Michael Hayes distracts a referee, which allows Jimmy Garvin to get in the ring and drop his own elbow. Not a dusty elbow, baby, if you will. But he drops the elbow on the back of the head of Murdoch. Gordy rolls over, makes the cover. Terry Gordy beats Dick Murdoch on his way out of the company in six minutes and 25 seconds. Not a lot to it. Just like you said, a lot of right hands and, and punching and elbows. It was it was shoe leather, ugly. and uh, Bowling shoe ugly. Yeah, bowling shoe ugly, whatever the hell you want to call it. So it was it was just kind of just there. It was probably the least entertaining power hour main event that we've had so far. Just It was okay. Yeah, it's hard to follow a, a show, a cage match episode up with, with Murdoch and Gordy. Honestly, I didn't mind it. Once it finally got going, but it felt like it was just here to fill time and not be a really good match. I did like the whole punch fest. I also you know, thought it was kind of fun watching them go from ring to ring. I always liked when guys did things like that, so that was kind of cool, but it was a nothing match. It was a throwaway match, and Dick Murdoch does the job on the way out here. I don't know if they knew he was on his way out at this point, but he was, and now he's gone, at least for now. I know he returns eventually here and there from time to time, but Dick Murdoch on the way out. Terry Gordy picks up the win, and we close the show with the Wrestler of the Week. This week, it's Flying Brian Pillman, and it would have helped if he at least got the, the win in the six-man tag. It would have coincided with this Wrestler of the Week thing anyway. And we close the show, and it, this I felt like this is very realistic. These guys really made this come off realistic to me. The Bash is this weekend, and Jim Cornette is getting ready to take on Pauly Dangerously. It's a pretty big deal. So Jim Ross wishes Jim Cornette luck as they close the show. I just thought it was a, a nice little touch to close the power hour. Yeah, I agree. It was pretty cool. 
Um, you can really tell these guys get along and, and enjoy each other's company. And I think this is the best show for Jim Ross besides Saturday night. If he had power on Saturday night and gave the rest to someone else, uh, he would have been perfectly fine. But yeah, nice ending. It's over to NWA Pro for July 22nd. They're from Amarillo, Texas this week, the home of Terry Funk. So they make sure to keep him off the show, or at least out of the arena as far as the tapings go. And Terry Funk does a pre-tape promo from a dressing room with a mirror in it. Not the most coherent of Terry Funk promos, to say the least. In fact, he, he screws up repeatedly, or at least says the wrong thing at least two or three times. But you wouldn't know it based on what he's doing. He's doing not, not the greatest verbal promo of all times, but physically, damn. He's banging his head into a mirror. He's banging his head into a desk. He's laying down sideways on the desk, cutting this promo very into whatever the hell it is he's trying to say here. I didn't grab a soundbite of it, but it is already up on Twitter. I thought it was good enough to put up there on that because this is not something you can sell for the audio because like, I, like I've already pointed out twice, it's not a very good promo per se based on what Funk's saying, but watching this video is a completely different story. This has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, I agree. It was awesome. He's like looking at himself in the mirror initially, then he starts banging his head on it. And I don't really... I wasn't really, I couldn't really hear what he was saying. I wasn't processing what he was saying, but what he was doing was more believable to me. Just great stuff. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And it was a nice promo to go home with for sure. Yeah. I sh- you know, this is the go home weekend to the bash. So you made an excellent point there. This is it. These are their final sell jobs. All of these promos you're going to see here over these, of course, these next couple shows, a lot of them are repeated. So these are the final promos we're getting. It's the final countdown, so to speak, to the bash. And these guys are, some of them are saving their best for last. And again, I think this probably made the least sense of any Terry Funk promo. I mean, he was all over the place. And he was in, in, inaccurate in some of the things he was saying. But the physical sell job here was absolutely phenomenal. People say certain wrestlers were ahead of their time. Terry Funk wasn't ahead of his time. Time wasn't fast enough for Terry Funk. I mean, he was ready, you know, and it was just, Tremendous shit here by by the Funker. Absolutely. Couldn't say it better myself. Tag team action by the dynamic dudes here. They take on Cruel Connection and Jerry Price. And Shane looked good until he tagged out to Ace. Then the match went in the shitter. But the wipeout ends it in only a minute and 20 seconds. So thank God for quick squash matches. <laughs> That's no lie. Another promo as we head into the bash. It's Eddie Gilbert and Sting. They're in a locker room somewhere. Eddie is in Sting's corner at the bash, if we haven't mentioned that already. Uh, But he's been here since the beginning for Sting. Maybe he wasn't with Sting in Memphis for that cup of coffee, those couple weeks there. But in the UWF, when Sting and the Warrior came over, Eddie Gilbert was with Sting. He was basically their manager. He winded up teaming with Sting. They wound up winning the tag team titles there. He's been with Sting for a very long time. You can go all the way back, like I said, to the Mid-South region. All the way back to the beginning of 1986, he's been with Sting. So... Sting's head is going boom, says Sting. He hasn't done that since Flair in 1988. And what what Sting means there, I guess, is just that this is the biggest match of his career since the Ric Flair World Title match back at Clash 1 in 1988. He's really putting over the great Muda here as a top, top contender. Yeah, this is good stuff. And it almost felt like they were planting the seeds for like an Eddie Gilbert turn. Oh, you beat me Um, to it. And I, it just feels like uh, that's where they were heading with all this mm-hmm. uh, because they're really emphasizing it. And the only reason you emphasize something like that is because you're going somewhere with it. But um, 
Yeah, this is a good promo. Eddie did a great job of hyping up Sting. Sting did his part, and um, they're going to do it to it, is what he said at the end. So, uh, pretty good stuff. Yeah, Sting made sure to put Muda's abilities over really well here. Like he was, he actually—I don't want to say Sting feared because he wasn't showing fear of Muda, but he was acknowledging the toughness of Muda and how this is actually going to be a real fight and a battle. Uh, but Muda and Hart—they uh, got in his face just like Ric Flair did in '88, and Sting says that's all it takes for him to step up and accept the challenge. That's all it takes. Why doesn't somebody do that every week uh, in order to try to get a TV title match? But if that's all it takes, that's what it's going to be. They're going to get it on at the Great American Bash. Just like you said, they're going to do it to it or, or whatever Sting said there. So they continue to plant the seeds, though, with these Eddie. They're very subtle at this point uh, with Eddie Gilbert uh, backing Sting. It's the Skyscrapers as they get ready to take on the awesome tag team of Glacier Ray Lloyd and Chopper Steve Casey. Glacier and Chopper. Steve Casey looks like he wants to be anywhere else but here is one of my notes when he's being announced. This is before the skyscrapers even come out. I think Casey's underwhelmed with his uh, push here now in the NWA. Norman gets to ringside for his shenanigans, but he's too late this week. By the time he even gets there, it's the double powerbomb on Casey. Ends this match in a mere 38 seconds. So at least we didn't get to see the Norman bullshit this week. The skyscrapers look ready for the dynamic dudes at the bash. Yeah, they're really picking up the pace and they're getting they're 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 what you remember the skyscrapers as being. Um they've worked out the kinks and they're they're awesome. Just awesome, awesome. It's time once again for the A and W Cream Soda, King of the Slams. This week it's the Freebirds, DDT. Again, vote no. We get another Ricky Steamboat promo. It's coming from the same exact place that he did the promo from last week, so he probably cut these back-to-back. This is a different promo because he mentions that this we're now less than 24 hours away from the pay-per-view. Clearly same place as last week, but obviously a different promo. And he says he wants Lex. Uh, Lex used the chair on him. Well, let's do it, no DQ. Then Lex can use the chair all he wants. And it's been very funny because even though these have been very good promos these last few weeks, these angry promos from Steamboat, it's been his best all year, even though they've been repetitive. And I think he's done a great job. It's unfortunate that he's pretty much out the door after the pay-per-view, now that he's finally channeling something decent here as far as promos go. Yeah, it stinks. Uh, We're at the end of Steamboat here. Uh, Like I said, he's putting a little edge on his character that you never really seen with Steamboat. And uh, it makes me interested in what's to come. It's just unfortunate that we never get that. Flying Brian Pillman over Cougar J. Air Pillman now. Finally hitting using Air Pillman as the finisher rather than that splash to the back. Pillman gets the winner with Air Pillman. That's the springboard clothesline. Two minutes and 19 seconds. The bell actually rings on the two count. So they already knew this. They were taking this home. And yeah, that's it. Flying Brian with the win over Cougar J. Two minutes, 19 seconds. It's time for Pettacino Knows, the weekend of the bash. He goes over the top 10. It reflects the Power Hour one we saw. Ranger Ross at number 10. Tommy Rich at number 9. Murdoch is absolutely gone by this point. We move into clips from the Power Hour. They're really playing up this the steel cage angle pretty huge, which it was a big deal, a steel cage angle, and you're taking out one of the Road Warriors, and they replay the uh, promo from Animal that followed the match. So they're setting the stage for war games in regards to the Road Warriors part of the, the team anyway. They're really hyping it up, and that's what they seem to do that. When they get a huge angle, they really play it over and over. And, and that's okay, especially when it's something as impactful as, like, the cage stuff and then, obviously, the pile driver by Funk on Flair at WrestleWar. You've seen that a 100 times now. It's definitely a good job on their part. 
If you like quick squash matches, you'll love this one. It's the SST over Mike Justice and Tony Suber. They actually drop kick, stereo drop kicks on both jobbers to start the match, sends them both to the floor. Moments later, Fatu on the top rope with a splash to the floor on Tony Suber in a minute and 17. Suber was pretty much done by that point. And then just for good measure, they bust pineapples over both job guys' faces. So poor Tony Suber eats a Fatu splash from the top rope to the floor here. That was pretty damn cool. Yeah, I put down here, holy shit. Uh, you just don't expect to see that. I mean, he jumped off the top rope to the outside and land a splash. Um, that's something you never see. And uh, for him to do it at his size and the elevation he got, man, the SST were just awesome. Holy jeez. Yeah, when they laid him out there, I was like, he's not going to do this. And then when he climbed up the top rope, I'm like, he's going to do this. And uh, it was just quite a sight. And they actually did that spot one time very early on in their run as the head shrinkers in the WWF. I know it's on Superstars or, or something like that. And there's a funny story Tommy Dreamer tells about that spot because Tommy Dreamer was actually at that TV taping getting a tryout, or he was supposed to get a tryout. But thanks to that spot, Vince McMahon shut down the show uh, for at least, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Vince McMahon was so irate at watching that spot take place. That was just too violent for 1992 WWF television. And they, they were taping it for, for TV. It aired. It wound up airing. So Vince must have got over it. But Fatu lands that spot. I don't remember what job guy he hits it on. That dive to the floor, that splash on the floor. And I guess immediately Vince exploded backstage and shut down the show for X amount of minutes. And basically Tommy Dreamer's tryout got canceled because there was no time for it because of that move right there. Wow. Wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> Damn you, Fatu. And I picked up the finish of this match listening to Lance Russell and Bob Cottle call it. We'll listen as the match plays out in instant replay, and we'll also be listening to a Paul E. Dangerously promo. He's in the locker room, and he says he's got rid of the Fantastics. He put out the Midnights for a period of time, and now it's time for the Road Warriors. Let's listen to all of that. It's the SST outro into the Paul E. Dangerously promo. Watch this unbelievable move. All the way off the top rope. He comes down with a flying splash right outside the ring, Bob. That's almost 300 pounds, and that's from about 10 feet high. He faced him down, followed it up, and what followed was anti-climactic. We're going to be taking a listen to Paul E. and that mouth of his when we get back into action here. You know, when I decided it was time to bring Samu and Fatu, the SST, the Samoan SWAT team, to the NWA, I made a few vows. The first one I made said, the Fantastics are out, and out they were. Then I made a vow that the Midnight Express of Jimmy Cornette, Bobby Eaton, and Stan Lane, they're out too, and they went right out the door. But while they were coming back, the Road Warriors decided that they wanted to be the biggest, the baddest, the roughest, the toughest tag team in the world all over again, just like in 1983. So I don't care if it took a pineapple and a phone to Ellering's head. I don't care if it took the SST and the Freebirds. We put the Road Warriors down. We showed that the SST truly are the most animalistic human machine to destruction on God's green earth. 
So now we're talking war games, July 23rd, live pay-per-view from Baltimore, Maryland. The fabulous Freebirds and the SST, the two greatest tag teams in the history of wrestling. Dr. Death, the Midnight Express, and the Road Warriors. Well, gentlemen, everybody's asking me, am I worried that I have to match minds with two masterminds, Ellering and Cornette? Well, the answer is no. Because you see, Jimmy Cornette, you and I have a one-on-one -on -one match. And I'm announcing right now my retirement from professional wrestling because they're going to lock me up in prison for the rest of my life for what I have in store for you. You're going to kick me down. And then, Ellering, you're going to witness the destruction of your five idiots. So Paulie promising to defeat Jim Cornette, basically end Jim Cornette, and at the same time, his team obviously is going to also win war games as part of the Bash pay-per-view. Again, these promos, Cornette to Paulie and Paulie to Cornette, they're not necessarily the greatest promos of all time, but they are getting over the fact that they hate each other, and this is not going to be your typical manager comedy spot match. They they really want to fight one another. Yeah, I think that's a good good way to summarize what they're doing. They don't want to. They want it to be authentic and make it come across that they really do hate each other. I think they're doing a hell of a job of doing that. We move on back to the ring, and I hate that we have to move on back to the ring. It's Wild Bill Irwin over Mark Smith here. Side slam and a sloppy-ass bicycle pump kick gets the win in two minutes and nine seconds. Bill Irwin's got Brian Pillman at the Great American Bash. Out of all the talent on the roster, why Bill Irwin? To, to give Pillman something to do with his pay-per-view, I'll never know. Me either. Pettacino knows. As he hypes the bash card, he announces the entire card, including Brian Pillman taking on Bill Irwin, the skyscrapers against the dynamic dudes. He runs down basically the entire card minus the Battle Royal. But don't worry, the Battle Royal does take place. Uh, Pettacino even gives his picks on three of the top matches. He picks Ric Flair over Terry Funk, and he continues to hype that he hopes Ric Flair takes Terry Funk out of the business. Uh, he picks Lex Luger to go over Ricky Steamboat and the roadies to win the War Games match because there's nobody going to deny the Road Warriors at this point. And it's time for one of your favorite points in the show, Steve. It's time for the Total Package Lex Luger, another promo from Lex Luger here. And I did grab a soundbite of this one, so we'll take a listen. You can listen to the Total Package, what he has to say about his U.S. Championship match with Ricky Steamboat, and I'll let you talk all about it on the other side. Here we are, just hours away from the big match. The Great American Bash. Baltimore is the place. And you know, this is when the competitive juices really flow. This is when the adrenaline really flows. This is when it is put up or shut up time, Ricky Steamboat. And you know, I see you're a little hot under the collar. You've come unglued a bit. I see the veins sticking out of your neck. I've never seen you like this before. You know what? I like it. And you want to know DQ? Oh, you can yell. You can scream all you want. But Ricky, you're not the champion anymore. I'm the U.S. champion. I dictate policy. The NWA may dictate rankings, Ricky Steamboat, but the total package Lex Luger, everybody's U.S. heavyweight champion, dictates what kind of match I put my title in. I dictate the stipulations. If that's an if. There's a no DQ in the future. It's when I say it happens. Ricky Steamboat, this is how it is. I am the premier wrestler in our sport today. 
I am the greatest athlete in professional sports today. It's all on the line. It's just a few hours away. It's put up or shut up time. You know, my favorite part of that entire promo isn't necessarily anything he said about Ricky's steamboat or the match. My favorite part of that promo is that one sentence where he says, we're just hours away. Anytime we would get promos like this, where guys would reference that it's the day of the show or less than a day until the show. It always sent chills up my spine. It got me ready. Like my the back, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Like I was pumped. They're, they're t- you know, they're, they're reminding you, this is it. It made it feel live. Even though it wasn't a live show, it made it feel like this is the guy's last thoughts before he walks into war here. I thought it was a really good promo. I liked his demeanor, the calmness, the coolness, the collectedness. Like, he was just on point. And we've heard this same shit over and over for the last two weeks, three weeks, where he's not doing the DQ stuff. But I think this is probably the best promo out of all the shows we've watched with him, just because he is uh, just the way his demeanor is. And, and, And I'm with you, man hours away like that just it sets the mood it sets the table and it makes everything okay we we spent the last two months building up to this and it's finally here we're only hours away and it just gets you excited and ready to roll and um it's it's awesome yeah it just makes everything feel up to date it's not just a pre-tape that you got he could have recorded on Tuesday, even though it probably was recorded on whatever day such and such a time it just feels like he's in the moment and he's with you. And you know the bash is tomorrow, but he's he's telling you that he knows the bash is tomorrow or hours away. And it's just, it gets you psyched up because it feels like you're getting the final thoughts of this guy before he walks through that curtain. And it's not your normal wrestling pr- promo from the pay-per-view. This just feels like an actual, like, real promo. And I love his calm demeanor there, as you pointed out, because he really has nothing to lose here. It's not going to be no DQ, so he can get disqualified to retain the title. And he's the champion. He doesn't have to win, per se, to keep the belt. He just has to not get pinned, basically. So, really good promo from Lex Luger. Really good job. Absolutely. Main event time, if that's what you want to call this, it's Ranger Ross taking on Rip Morgan of the New Zealand Militia. Jacko Victory in his corner. The Militia do a bunch of cheating, which brings Big Scott Hall down to ringside for some odd reason. Comes down to even the odds for Ranger Ross. Remember that great babyface tag team of Scott Hall and Ranger Ross that just ruled the earth there for a few years? I don't either. I can't see Ranger on the beach, but maybe I could see him in the Everglades with the Gators, so that might work. Maybe if they do a tandem like that. Uh, Anywho, Morgan collides with Jacko on the apron. Ranger Ross with a schoolboy, not even a combat kick. But Ranger Ross with a schoolboy gets the win, three minutes and seven seconds. Post-match, Jack Victory rushes the ring. The Militia do a job on Ranger Ross. Scott Hall tries to make the save. They toss him to the floor. They wind up hanging Ross, or yeah, they wind up hanging Ranger Ross by the strap on the canteen until Scott Hall finally makes the save. And uh, my final note for this show is, wow, a promo-heavy show this week, and for good reason. It's the final sell for the pay-per-view. I thought it was a very good job here with all these promos. I just thought we haven't seen a syndicated show like this before. And it's perfect timing being the weekend of the pay-per-view, all the main guys getting all these, what their final thoughts going into the pay-per-view, just a really, really good job on syndication this week. Yeah, I agree. I mean, these promos are awesome. You can, you can kind of tell they saved the best for last and, and they knew they had to do one final big time promo to, sell their match, sell the show, 
and do what they had to do. And I thought they all, pretty much all of them knocked it out of the park. Every single person that had a promo on this show did well. Just some solid stuff. It was actually, it was a lot better than the action in the ring outside of Fatu killing that guy with the splash. But uh, the ring work was secondary to all these promos, and, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, this was one time where I, I can't complain having this many promos on the show. It was needed and just a really well, really good job. And we move over to the other syndicated show, Worldwide, for July 22nd. And these pretty much feature all of the same pre tape promos that we got on Pro, so there'll be a lot of skimming through those. We actually kick off the show right away with the Sting and Gilbert pre-tape from the pro, and we go into our first match featuring the Dynamic Dudes taking on Mark Smith and Lee Scott. Wipeout on Mark Smith gets the win. Johnny Ace makes the cover. Three-minute win here by the Dynamic Dudes. I don't think they're going to be pulling coming out winners here uh, come the Great American Bash, so enjoy that win there, Shane Douglas, Johnny Ace. We get the Terry Funk mirror promo again. Nothing wrong with it, but we've already seen it. No need to cover it again. Terry Funk just bashing his head into the mirror. It's really fun. Go watch it on our Twitter account. Match number two, Flying Brian Pillman takes on the 300-pound Fred Avery. At one point, Avery whips Brian Pillman into the corner. Pillman tries to do the old up-and-over spot, failing to realize that Fred Avery isn't even rushing in yet. So Pillman lands on his feet before Fred Avery even rushes in and Avery winds up colliding into the back of the legs of Pillman in a botched spot. I thought that was kind of funny. Air Pillman ends this thing in only 55 seconds. Yeah, that's a trend here. Most of these matches are pretty short. And again, it's all the promos and things like that. Just solid stuff. One more time. It's a replay from the power hour in the steel cage match between the birds and the road warriors. The SST come in, they cripple Hawk or they put him out on the stretcher anyway. Uh, we also get another replay of the, Road Warrior Animal promo that followed. Back to the ring with match number three. The Samoan SWAT team with Paul E. Dangerously taking on Cougar J and Jerry Price. Pre-match, Paul E. does a promo on the apron. Makes the match seem longer than it actually is because the bell sounds while Paul E.'s talking. Paul talks burying Cornette and then winning the War Games match as well at the bash. And holy shit, Steve, you point, you watched this before I did. And I just, you really, you sold it as big as you possibly could. And I still couldn't fathom this spot until I actually saw it myself. And this is also on our Twitter. If you thought all of the Lee Scott backdrops that I put up on Twitter the other day were something else, this goes right along with those. Because as good as Lee Scott was, Jerry Price did his damnedest to top Lee Scott's backdrop. The Samoans do a backdrop to uh, Jerry Price in the middle of the ring he goes sailing all the way into the I thought he was going to clear the ropes and land on the apron or the floor and kill himself, but he winds up yeah. smacking the top rope at the back of his thighs and doing a backflip back into the ring in an insane spot. Yeah, dude, I thought he was dead. Uh, I was like, there's no way he's not going over the top rope and to the outside. I mean, they launch him. <laughs> he's launched, and somehow he lands on top of his head and kind of does like the springboard, like the Deary-looking spot. Right. He does this springboard into the ropes and does the back elbow, except this time he just falls right on his gut. I mean, holy shit. If you haven't seen it on our Twitter, you definitely need to go look at it. It's one of those mo- one of the most insane backdrops I've ever seen. Like, there's no way he shouldn't have died, to be yeah, honest pa- with you. Paulie even marks out for it. You can hear Paulie laughing and screaming and laughter after the spot all the way into the finish. And, and if that wasn't enough to just put the guy out of his misery and maybe do the Fatu splash, that, that just wasn't enough for the SST. And I think the best part of all of it was he, uh, Jim Ross on commentary says somebody needs to notify his next of kin. And then they did the back suplex off the middle rope and then the big splash by Fatu uh, right after that. Yeah, and they do all of this. 
they do all of this, I should note, in a matter of two minutes. So Jerry Price nearly dies off of the backdrop and still takes a back superplex and the Fatu splash <laughs> all in a matter of two minutes. And uh, fuck's sakes, man. Holy shit. Yeah, he's trying to win Jobber of the Month, dude. That's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost You almost feel like you have to give it to him after taking that. All those Lee Scott backdrops, but then this guy does this. And I'm like, oh, my God. He's dead. It's almost like they're playing one up. Like they're actually competing retroactively competing for the jobber of the month trophy 31 years ago for the trophy here in 2020. Yeah. Let's tell ourselves that. (laughs) Why not? It's uh, Pettacino knows it's again, a replay from pro. I hate to keep saying that you're going to hear that a lot here on worldwide. A lot of the syndicated stuff is a replay from pro nothing wrong with it. It's really all you need to get the bash over. Pedicino talks the top 10, the War Games feud. We move into the next match. It's another six-man tag. It's the Midnights taking on Dr. Death, Steve Williams. They're once again out there against the Bounty Hunter and Snake Brown like they were in the last six-man tag. But instead of Trent Knight, the third member here is Cruel Connection, uh, which is George South, I believe, at this point. Uh, I'm pretty sure because Gary Royal's been gone for quite a while. (laughs) Either that or George South is working without the gear and Gary Royal's working with the gear. I didn't really pay attention. Either way, they try the same spot where the Midnights throw Cruel Connection up in the air, but he's no Trent Knight, and so Doc catches him, but he he simply catches him for a a big body slam. Doc winds up throwing him down, and the Vegematic on Cruel Connection ends it here, and Doc wipes the other two job guys out with a running clothesline, and the Babyfaces get the win, 2 minutes, 17 seconds. We're off to another promo. Ricky Steamboat airs again from Pro. Not a whole lot to say here. I'm okay with these. No need to keep having these guys cutting promos, saying the same shit. I don't want to see Steamboat saying something on pro and saying it on worldwide with a different backdrop. So I just, I don't mind these repeat promos. It works because it's the weekend of the bash. So these guys need to be focused on putting on the best match possible, not cutting a bunch of syndicated promos that probably nobody's watching anyway. Let's be honest. Match number five sees this. Hey, wait a minute. I watched all of my syndicated shows when I was growing up. A lot of people watched syndication, probably more than cable, because they had more people had syndicated TV than cable. So syndicate was very syndication was very important. Just ask Vince McMahon. Fair enough. I mean, I'm just saying the NWA's in the dumps at this point. <laughs> well, okay, if you mean this particular point in time, then I, I agree with you 100. percent I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's match number five, the skyscrapers with Teddy Long and Norman. Norman's out there right away this time. He missed the boat last time. He didn't get to the ring in time for the match, so he made sure to be out there this time. They take on Trent Knight and Dwayne Bruce. Sid is on the floor for this one. We saw Spivey on the floor last week when Sid Vicious wrestled two men. I bet Dwayne Bruce was loving this, that he didn't have to wrestle Sid Vicious. Sid on the floor for this one. Spivey does the handicap match. Uh, Bear hug, flapjack, and a powerbomb ends this in just 59 seconds. Dan Spivey gets the win. That's what you need to be. Joe Pettacino knows, and for the final time, he runs down the entire Bash lineup. So it's final hype time as far as Joe Pettacino is concerned. And there's really nothing else to say. I mean, the Bash is tomorrow. We're ready, and I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, everything that needs to be said has been said numerous times. It's it's just time to get to the show. And I, I think they're all feeling that at this point. Yeah, repeat promo here from Lex Luger airs again from the pro show. Obviously, that was the one you put over. You said it was probably his best promo in the last two, three weeks, I, I tend to agree with you. Very calm, very ready to go with Steamboat. And we go into the main event here, sad to say. Uh, the New Zealand militia really rocking a lot of main events, and I use that term loosely, 
on these syndicated shows lately. This week, they take on the team of Scott Hall and Wildfire Tommy Rich. Uh, the militia wind up getting a little bit of heat on Scott Hall. I would say he makes the hot tag, and it almost works because he's Wildfire, so he'll be like, Wildfire hot tag! But no, it's not really. Hall just kind of wanders over and just tags in Tommy Rich. Lukewarm tag at best. He really wasn't even in trouble. Tommy Rich comes in, does one move. The Thez Press gets the win here on Jacko Victory. Match went three minutes and 45 seconds. Really a nothing match here. There wasn't much to it. Again, Scott Hall, <laughs> he's just going through the motions. It's so weird to seem like this, uh, really having no clue. He, he's clearly a guy that needs a gimmick, and he just didn't have one at this point, so he's pretty shit. And I'm not buying Tommy Rich anymore. The, that ship has sailed, and uh, this, this return has done nothing for me anyway. It's funny you protect the militia like every episode, and then all of a sudden Tommy Rich comes in and just pins them clean with the Thez Press. Like, like it's nothing. And uh, I thought that was weird because, they, yeah. like I said, they've done a pretty solid job of protecting them up to this point. Yeah, they're they're doing DQs. They're they're even doing jobs to, to Steiner Brothers via a, a schoolboy. But here Tommy Rich hits its finisher and gets the win in under four minutes. That was supposed to be the main event of the show. Thank God it really wasn't the main event of the show. The main event of the show was a Ric Flair promo. Flair comes out here, and I grab that, and let's listen to what Ric Flair has to say. Well, I guess by now, Terry Funk, you and I know the name of the game, and it's Baltimore, Maryland. Funk, you've had a month to digest the fact that I walked out in front of the whole world. Woo! Looking, pal, as only the world champion can look, telling you that I wanted back in, and it's no secret that you were scratching your head because you knew that you gave me your best shot. And I got up from it. I got out of the hospital bed, and I walked down the aisle, and I'm back. And in a few hours, pal, you know a lot about it. I live with it. The world title goes on the line in Baltimore, Maryland. And, pal, it's not going to be started or profiling it's gonna be blood, and it's gonna be sweat, and it's gonna be two great athletes. One winner, you understand? We know the rules of the game. The greatest match, probably, in the history of this sport. Two combatants walk in, one walks away. I'm prepared, pal, to go back to the hospital. Are you? Remember I said, when you saw these eyes? You know what you're looking at in Baltimore. In just a few hours, Funk, I'm promising the wrestling world that you, pal, are going to be mine. I am the dirtiest player in the game. It goes without saying. And when I reach up, grab your neck, and pull you so tight that, pal, you can't grasp prayer, you're going to know. That Rick Flair is back and back to stay. Woo! Those Rick Flair irate promos, man, they really pull you in. He, you really believe when he, when he's talking to you in that demeanor, that his eyes budging, bulging out, and, and and just his hair flopping back and forth, and him screaming. It's not your typical heel yelling promo or just a yelling promo in general. It really feels like there's emotion behind it, and this is real. It just takes everything to another level that very, very few wrestlers have. And obviously, Ric Flair is one of the greatest of all time at pretty much everything. Mike, 
in ring, everything that he does. And this is no different. Just a tremendous promo. And we play out this episode of Worldwide with video footage of Lex Luger turning on Steamboat from The Clash and Funk turning on and, and pile driving Ric Flair from the Wrestle War pay per view. And that concludes the syndication for the weekend of the pay uh, per view. I thought they did a really great job in the promos uh, this weekend to get over the pay per view. Just a really good job in syndication. They couldn't have done better, really. I mean, not only did they think enough to put all these promos on here to do the hard sell, because that really wasn't a thing to get all of these guys on here like this. But all the promos that were done were just really, really good. It was like these guys knew this was the, the final hour. It was time to get people to buy this pay-per-view, to sell the tickets, so to speak. They did a really good job. They sold me. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%, man. They knocked it out of the park, every single one of them. And we move into our final show before the Great American Bash pay-per-view. It's the NWA World Championship Wrestling episode for July 22nd. We kicked the show off with a six-man tag. I was wondering if we were going to get something like this. It's the six-man team of the Party Patrol and Tommy Rich. It's Wildfire Tommy Rich, Johnny Rich, and Davey Rich, the Rich Cousins. Tommy and Johnny are actually legitimate cousins. Davey Rich is actually David Haskins. They're taking on Lee Scott, George South, Trent Knight, all really tremendous job guys here. Uh, match goes about five minutes. They've been doing this spot every time Tommy Rich has been in a tag team match. They seem to be covering Tommy while he's getting his footing back. He's doing a lot of six-mans, a lot of tag team work, and they keep doing the same spot, letting Tommy Rich get the win. This is no different. Uh, one of the other uh, partners whips the job guy off the ropes. They do a drop down, and the job guy runs right into Tommy's Thez press, gets the win here in five minutes, and none of these guys are on the pay-per-view. Not even Tommy Rich. Not even in the Battle Royal. So I really didn't understand the point of this. Yeah, I didn't either. Why? I didn't realize they weren't on the show. It makes I mean, you bring in Tommy Rich, obviously it has nothing to do, but you can at least put him in the Battle Royal. Why the hell not? Anyway. Yeah, there's a few guys missing from the Battle Royal that's really head-scratchers, but we can touch on that next week. We move into a promo from the Fabulous Freebirds. It's only Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, so I already don't give a shit. And Hayes is back to copying lyrics from songs of the past. This time it's, War Games. Good God, y'all. What is it good for? Uh, they say Gordy is uh, off training the SST. I'd love to see that. Now, that would make much better footage than this Freebirds promo right here. Terry Gordy training the SST? Oh, my God. That would have been awesome. That would have been excellent vignettes for sure. Michael Hayes promises that five men are going to leave and five men are going to bleed, which is completely not true. I don't believe anybody bleeds in war games. Not that it wasn't a good war games, though, but Michael Hayes making promises that his ass can't cash and that's no different than any other time, I suppose. Well, it just makes you wonder. Like a lot of these matches are promising blood, so it makes you wonder. And death. If, uh, somebody, somebody had death and blood and everything else. It's almost wondering if somebody caught wind of what they were going to try and do on the pay per view, and they're like, "Eh, no, sorry, it's not happening in every single match." So uh, well, it, it doesn't happen in every single match. But you guys turn tune into the watch long, tune in on the WWE Network next week. I, I promise you blood. I can guarantee that because this happened a long time ago and I've seen it before. So <laughs> it's once again, it's the Terry Funk pile driver video montage. I didn't mind it the first time, but to continue playing, this is just a bit much. It's just Terry Funk pile driving three or four guys. It's not, there's not a little, a whole lot to it. Yeah. It's just very bland. 
It's our final Terry Funk promo before the big match. He starts referencing and bringing up things from former uh, promos he's cut. He's told the fans how he's looked down at his father's grave and there was nothing but the West Texas winds. And he swore to the heavens above that that name Funk would be synonymous with wrestling forever after the bash. Either he is a failure or a success tomorrow. I really love that line. Either I'm a failure or I'm a success. It seems pretty obvious, but I just I love that line here. And he swears on his family's name that he will be a success. I don't know if he he wanted to do that. Um, The people are going to see a new NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. They will see Ric Flair lose his dignity, lose his pride, lose his honor, and walk away with his head in shame. Uh, Fun little quick culmination. The the time for talking is done. It's intriguing. They've never touched since Wrestle War. I, I I really liked Terry Funk's promo here. It wasn't one of his great promos, but... I liked it for the final promo, if that makes sense. It was pretty good. It was different than what he's been doing. He's been the calm, cool, collected guy compared to Flair this time around. It, it was definitely like he—he's basically telling you what's on the line with him. Flair has the belt on the line, obviously, and Funk has his family's name and honor and tradition on the line, and that—that's why he's doing all this to make his name synonymous with wrestling. And that just puts a little—that's another layer to the onion, so to speak. I thought it was really good. I think they've done a, I think they've done a really good job of keeping these guys separated since Flair's return. They've never been in the same place at the same time. Nobody's attacked anyone. Nobody's tried anything. They they haven't even argued in person. It's been if Funk's in the studio, Flair's a pre-tape. If Flair's in the studio, Funk's a pre-tape. Are there one of them's at the beginning of the show? One of them's at the end of the show? They've really kept these guys separated to make it even bigger when they when they meet at the pay-per-view. These guys haven't yeah. been in the same place essentially since the attack that took Ric Flair out. Yeah, that's that's just great booking. The skyscrapers take on Tony Suber and Bob Emery. Sid just standing there, looking like a star, the star that he is. Spivey was a huge dude, so Spivey looked like an intimidating mofo, especially with those cool lines he had cut into his hair here by this point. Sid, man, I, I just I can't get over it. Like the muscles and the 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 height and just even like the gear he was wearing here. He just looked like a badass. And so that's pretty much why he went on to become the star that he was. But I just love him here. And wait, I, you said you haven't watched the bash pay-per-view in a long time. Wait until you hear the fans during that skyscrapers match. They want blood. They want the dynamic dude's blood. And these Sid chants are absolute, maybe the loudest chants of the entire paper. They're absolutely insane. <laughs> I can't wait. It's in this match that we learn both guys have entered the triple chance battle royal at the pay-per-view. The story goes that all of the guys in this triple crown battle royal finals at the pay-per-view all won previous triple crown battle royals at different bash stops along the way. Now that isn't true. You can pretty much guess that based on some of the guys you'll wind up seeing in the actual battle royal. Uh, But Sid and Spivey both uh, have entered. So they've clearly won battle royals uh, leading up to the pay-per-view. Peanut head chants start catching on once again. Teddy Long joins commentary. He ponders what would happen if both the scrapers win in rings one and ring two. Hmm, Teddy. Uh, they continue to reference Arsenio Hall again. I, I really thought it was funny. Teddy Long questioned what would happen if Sid and Dan won their respective rings. What would happen? He doesn't know for sure. Uh, Jim Ross actually mentions that Norman is in the battle royal. And what that means, if, Nor- if Norman gets in there with the skyscrapers and 
Teddy Long says he'll have to talk to Norman about that. The funny thing about this entire thing, and this is taped, what what did I say? Was it like the, the 19th or something like that? The bash is on the 23rd. Jim Ross on commentary, Teddy Long going along with them, Norman in the Battle Royal. But when we get to the bash, Norman's not on the show. He's not in the Battle Royal. He's not at ringside in the Battle Royal. He's not on the pay-per-view whatsoever. So I thought that was kind of interesting there. Jim Ross basically announced Norman is participating in the Battle Royal, and he's really not even there. Yeah, maybe they had plans for him to be there and something happened. It's one of those things. You just don't know. Spike Powerbomb ends this match. Two minutes, 37 seconds on poor Bob Emery. I don't know if you caught this during the Skyscrapers match, but during the previous match, Jim Ross brings up, he says, they will not be showing any highlights of any of the matches at the Bash on TV, uh, which they had been doing up until now. We'd, we'd been shitting all over them doing that, wondering why they're giving so much pay-per-view footage away, figuring it was pretty much screwing their, their pay-per-view buys. Jim Ross goes out of his way here to mention that they won't be showing any footage whatsoever from the entire pay-per-view on TV. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Jim Ross is bluffing here and <laughs> or if they actually do wind up keeping their word. Yeah, I picked up on that, and I'm I'm curious to see if uh, if he's telling the truth or not. Uh, I'll be keeping my eye out for that because I've had a major issue with that from the get go. And I mean, no wonder your ratings or your buy rates are in the trash when you're giving everything away for free. You know, a week later, so why pay for something when you can get it for free? It's Lex Luger's final promo before the bash. He calls the fans fickle. So Daniel Bryan's been stealing Lex Luger's stuff all along. Fickle fans, says Lex Luger. The problem is that the fans, they compare themselves to the total package, and they feel inadequate. When Lex wakes up, he looks in the mirror. He has no regrets. He sees bronze, chiseled perfection. I have no doubt that he truly believes that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I have zero (laughs) doubt as well. You know he believes every second of what he's saying here. Maybe that's why these promos are so good. He just believes everything he's saying. You are a natural heel. You know, I think, who was it? Was it? I think it was Jim Cornette that said the real life Lex Luger was too nice to be a heel and too, I don't know, cocky or arrogant or whatever you want to call that, to be a face. So Luger was kind of screwed. He wasn't really a bad dude, but he wasn't really a good dude either. So it really didn't work. I guess that's why he flip-flops so much <laughs> from face to heel. <laughs> but he absolutely works much better as a heel. There's no, no, no arguing that as we've watched this evolve. Oh yeah, he's especially in '89, '90. Those those years, he's definitely better as a heel. It's one of those ultimate what could have been if Sting never got injured at, at the Clash. What ten? What could have been if that didn't happen? Just unfortunate that it did happen because it messed not only ruined Sting a little bit, it also put a halt in Luger's story and and things like that kind of messed him up going forward as well so just unfortunate turn of events there yeah and luger concludes this promo he says the fans all want to change their lives just like ricky steamboat wants to change his life ricky steamboat wants his belt ricky steamboat basically wants to be lex luger uh but steamboat won't get his no dq match tomorrow but ricky will get a match against him uh the opportunity to try to beat lex luger who is the uh the best in the sport today Lex closes again, stating that he has class that will never pass. He's the total package, Lex Luger. And I have to think, my my big hole in this storyline is, surely, 24 hours before the pay-per-view, this match has to have been signed by now. Is it no DQ, or is it not no DQ? There's not a lot of time left to decide this. I mean, th- this is your final, this is your go-home show to the pay-per-view, and we're still wondering if this is going to be a no DQ, at least Ricky Steamboat is still wondering if this is going to be a no DQ match. Luger continues to say no. 
So I'm not really sure why we're still even discussing this at this point. Yeah, Luger's made it pretty clear ever since Steamboat asked. He's been saying no the whole time. So he's made it pretty clear that he's not going to do a no DQ match. So at this point, you kind of expect a figurehead to come in and say, you know what, you are doing it. You use the chair on him. He deserves the right to get that back or whatever, however you want to position it. But we never get that. Just really odd that they they continue to work the fans all the way to the pay-per-view and even into the pay-per-view. Next match sees Ranger Ross taking on Keith Steinborn. Pretty quick match. Lots of arm work by Ross here. Combat kick ends it. Three minutes, 45 seconds, and it's off to a Ricky Steamboat promo with Jim Ross. Holy shit, Ricky Steamboat's in an actual arena cutting a promo here, as you can actually hear the fans in the background. Jim Ross asks Steamer, he's been the world champion, the actual world heavyweight champion. I almost feel like Jim kind of accidentally demean the u.s title a little bit i don't think that was his intentions but he points out steamboat's been a former world heavyweight champion so is he really going into this match for the u.s title or is he simply going into this match for revenge and basically steamboat says that the u.s title is the icing on the cake but it's really the revenge that he's going after here against lex luger yeah it just devalues the u.s title a little bit but i guess at the same time nothing is the world title you don't ever want to come off that perch so i i get it but indirectly taking a shot there at the u.s title is probably not a good idea i did like how steamboat closing the interview used some of lex's lines against him talks about lex looking into the mirror he's going to look into the mirror and realize he no longer has that gold belt when it's all said and done when lex's injuries all heal the pain the real pain will be that he knows that he no longer has the u.s heavyweight championship around his waist and for absolutely no reason very odd way to end the promo as Steamboat's closing up out of nowhere, he just looks at the camera and yells, eat it, and walks off. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It looks like he was trying to figure out a way, to, a clever way to finish it. And uh, so he just <laughs> says, eat it. That's what came to his mind. Danger zone time. This week, it's hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert and Sting. And this is where they really plant some seeds at a Gilbert Hill turn, if you ask me. They show an old picture of the first family they reference all the way back to the UWF. It's a picture of Eddie and Missy and Sting and Rick Steiner, the original first family. He refers to them as the Cleaver family. It wasn't really funny. He refers to Sting as Beaver Cleaver. He went off to college, bleached his hair. Now he came back and won the TV title. The baby faces wind up joining the danger zone. Paulie notes that Eddie Gilbert used to manage Sting. They were former tag team champions. He's referring to the UWF days once again. And for one night only, Eddie Gilbert will accompany Sting to the ring at the bash. And that's all Gil- Gilbert would need if he was intentionally going to turn heel. Paulie wants to know if Sting begged Eddie to manage him or if it was Gilbert's idea. Eddie Gilbert winds up saying that he's the one to ask Sting, which is really planting the seed there. Gilbert asks Sting if he could manage him for this match just to make sure it's fair and it's called down the middle and he can prevent Gary Hart from getting in the way. Paul E. thinks Sting will slap Hart around. He thinks that he'll have Muda beat in the middle of the ring, but it'll be Eddie Gilbert who interferes for his own revenge on Muda, and he'll cost Sting the, the match. And so Eddie says he would never do such a thing to Sting. Sting says they go way back, and they trust each other. And when you use the word trust in a promo, you're almost guaranteeing somebody's doing a heel turn, right? Uh, Sting says he got sidetracked with Funk, but Flair has that taken care of now. Sting closes by mocking Paul E, uh, losing to Cornette at the pay-per-view in the tuxedo match, being stripped down to his panties, so to speak. Sting walks off in a very feminine way, talking about Paulie's panties and things. Then he jumps back into the screen out of nowhere, shouts, oh, and scares Paulie. Paulie jumps back, closes the segment. But the real story here is the uh, Gilbert and Sting storyline. 
Yeah, this is definitely planting the seeds there for a heel turn. I, I don't remember ever getting it. I don't, no. Doesn't Eddie get – Eddie's gone after this. They're pretty close to it, right? I don't think Eddie's gone until uh, – I just want I want to say September or so. Yeah, but the, the heel turn doesn't happen, which is – it feels like they changed their mind. They got cold feet on the, on the angle or, or something. It doesn't happen at the pay-per-view. Eddie is out there in Sting's corner, however. But, no, the heel turn does not take place there. Interesting. But, yeah, it's playing the seeds for what I would think would be a pretty hot feud and really get Eddie Gilbert back up to that upper echelon that he was at at the beginning of the year. But doesn't seem to ever happen, and that, that kind of stinks. Yeah, and it took me a little bit to warm up to Missy Hyatt as a baby face, but uh, given what she's been uh, giving us week to week, I, I can't complain. I, I think they've been fine as baby faces, but they're much, much better as heels. It would have been great for both of them if Gilbert had made that heel turn. Unfortunately, you know, we don't see it. What we do see next is more highlights of the cage match between the Road Warriors and the Freebirds, hyping up that War Games. I love that they, they used the cage as their main hype piece to set up War Games, which is inside a cage. So you kind of get that visual, that precursor to another cage match. So good job, I thought. Yeah, I think so too. We get the Steiner brothers out with Missy Hyatt taking on the team of Wild Bill Irwin and the Iron Sheik, and what a team. And you could think I'm talking about the Cowboy and the Iranian Sheik. You could think I'm talking about the Steiner brothers, or you could think I'm talking about Missy Hyatt's team. And Missy rocking that Jello Jiggler top again here. Robin Green presents Rick Steiner with a balloon on his way to the ring. The action gets started, and it's 99% Bill Irwin, because I was wondering what the Iron Sheik was going to do here with the Steiner brothers, and, that, and my answer was absolutely nothing. Uh, we see a Frankensteiner on Bill Irwin early. Unfortunately, Bill Irwin kicks out, so the Frankensteiner hasn't been mastered quite yet when Bill Irwin's kicking out of it. It's not Scotty's finisher quite yet, and it looks more of a, a, a Rana-based Frankensteiner. He hasn't really got that extra oomph to it quite yet, so it's okay, Bill Irwin uh, kicking out at this point, but uh, pretty soon nobody's kicking out of the Frankensteiner. Definitely not. That's that's one hell of a move for a guy that size to be doing. Just Just crazy to think about what he could do. It wouldn't be a Rick Steiner match without a little comedy, so he bites at both of the heels, keeps having fun with Missy's boobs. He's wanting her to show him. Missy, I, I was wondering, what does Robin Green think about all this Rick Steiner playing up Missy Hyatt's boobs as much as he does here? But Missy even kind of opens her vest and shakes her things a little bit for, for, for the fans. Iron Sheik finally tags in for five seconds. I think he does like one move and tags back out. And that's all we get from the iron sheik here. Probably a good idea. At least they're making him make the rounds. Even if he's not doing a whole lot, Bill Irwin misses a diving splash from the middle rope. Rick Steiner into a half Nelson cradle pin gets the win match. Didn't go very long and we get more Missy boobage to end the segment. Can't go wrong with that. We get a final war games promo, but not from either team. It's actually Kevin Sullivan, who is in a tag team match against the signers, of the pay-per-view Kevin Sullivan does a voiceover for the war games video as they're playing up a video of the feud of cages of uh, the cage being built, constructed Sullivan notes that he's one of the very few men who has survived war games. I don't even remember Sullivan being in a war games, but he says he was. So maybe he was somewhere at some point. I'm just wondering, like it's clearly, Kevin Sullivan doing this voiceover. They're not hiding the fact. He's even putting over that he's been in the match. Did you think it was odd that Kevin Sullivan was the one doing the voiceover here for a match he's not even part of? No, I didn't mind it. 
Uh, he has a distinct voice for sure. He sounds demented and it's right up his alley. And I think even Jim Ross mentioned that it was going to be Kevin Sullivan. So they weren't trying to hide anything. I mean, I don't need Road Warrior Animal out there selling this or doing voiceover for this video. It was, he's probably, he's already on the roster. He can cut a good promo. And uh, I thought it was fine. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, I just uh, it, it bothered me because he's an active wrestler, I guess. I wouldn't have minded if it was somebody that had a decent voice that was an announcer or something like that, or maybe a third party that we've heard hype things before. I just It throws me off when, when, when they ran. It's like you can clearly tell Sullivan's part of the office when he's in there on pre-tape days to do voiceovers for uh, videos that have nothing to do with his, you know, what he's doing on the show. It would just be weird, you know, if we were watching the WWF and, we heard like a guy who wasn't even involved in, in say a, a, a whatever feud they're they're involved in a completely different feud, but they're cutting the promo for the steel cage match upcoming for a, a different feud on the card. Just it's really weird, very different. Something the NWA did that you never saw in the WWF anyway. And we close out the show in probably the most perfect way possible. We hear from the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair. It's his final interview before he steps in the ring with Terry Funk tomorrow night as part of the Great American Bash. Let's hear the final words of the Nature Boy. And you can see what these people think of you, Nate. They're standing and they are ready for tomorrow. The big question, sir, are you physically ready for the match of your life tomorrow? I have never been more ready for anything in my entire wrestling career. Tomorrow is showtime in Baltimore, Maryland, and Baltimore, woo! We're going to turn it up 120 degrees. Now, Terry Funk, you're nowhere to be seen. God bless you, pal. We don't belong together tonight because tomorrow one of us is going to be dead about 7 p.m. You know what? The problem with you, Funk, is you got to recognize the fact that I've already walked that aisle and I've come back to the hospital. Now, woo, tomorrow, it's your turn. Let me just take one minute. I don't have to walk out here and pat anybody on the back, but there's a couple people in this sport, a couple people that have stood beside me that I have competed against, and a couple people that have held my name in high esteem. And tomorrow, you know, Luger, I heard you call yourself a good big man and Steamboat a good little man. Well, Luger, whoever said you were a good big man? Not me. The bottom line is, tomorrow, pal, you got to wrestle Ricky Steamboat. And Sting, buddy, I'm on your team. Take Buddha downtown. Funk. Baby, it's time to go. The talk is over. Baltimore tomorrow. Woo! All right, fans, and we'll see you tomorrow at Baltimore. 4.30, don't you miss it. And if you weren't sure before, Flair solidifies himself here as a babyface, putting over Ricky Steamboat, someone he had just been feuding with, putting over Sting. He even puts over all three matches, the three big key matches, it seems like, even though we have war games and things like that, these seem to be the big key matches. These are the matches that Joe Pettacino picked, made his picks on. These are the matches Ric Flair's name dropping in its final promo before the big pay-per-view. So uh, really good job here. thought it was very fitting to close the final episode of TV with Ric Flair as we move into the bash.
Yeah, just an awesome promo. He did a great job of getting all the matches over. A great seller. Uh, he sold the show. And if that's the last bit of NWA TV that you've seen prior to the Great American Bash, I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty inclined to want to throw down and buy that pay-per-view. Uh, it would definitely be something I'd be interested in doing at the time. And he sold me, for sure. All these promos this weekend definitely sold me on wanting to see this show, and, and I can't wait for that. Everyone did a phenomenal job this weekend. Steamboat, Luger, take your pick, Sting. Everyone did a a tremendous job of getting over all of their matches and making you want to see their matches. So I, for one, can't wait. It's next week. It's the Great American Bash Watch Along. It's going to drop Wednesday morning, Thanksgiving Eve. You guys have to come back and listen to that one. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait to record it with you, Steve, especially since you haven't watched in a while. I'm curious to get your, your take on a lot of things, but there's just so much good stuff there. You can't really go wrong from top to bottom. Okay, you got Pillman and Irwin, but even that, I know the finish of the match is really fun anyway. So uh, before we close up, there was one more show. I don't know that it was aired before the bash. It kind of aired after the bash or during the bash. It was the NWA main event for July 23rd. We don't have that episode, but that's okay because during this episode of World Championship Wrestling, Jim Ross announces at least on two occasions that the episode of the main event for July 23rd, which airs during the middle of the bash, it's a special pre-recorded highlight edition, basically hyping up all the matches for the Great American Bash, hosted by Jim Ross and Paulie Dangerously. So there would be no new action, no new promos, no new anything on the show. It was all supposed to be pre-recorded highlights. So Ross kind of basically tells you, don't watch the main event tomorrow. And I think he was doing that so that you would watch the bash. Though I think I think I think that's what he was trying to do here by repeatedly telling everyone it's a highlight episode, and so nothing to see here as far as the main event goes. So the time for talking is done here in the NWA, and for this week on our show, Steve, our time for talking is done at least until next week, and the Great American Bash Glory Days watch along. Yeah, man, it's gonna be awesome. I'm I'm excited. I cannot wait to see this show with the, sh- the TV we watch with you hyping it up as your favorite NWA pay per view. It's going to be one of the better watch-alongs that we've had uh, with everything we watched, even on our Patreon-exclusive content, uh, other pay-per-views and clashes this year for 89. I think this is going to be probably the best show we have out there. So uh, definitely need to tune in Thanksgiving Eve and uh, enjoy uh, Glory Days. And don't forget, every Monday, it's Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, but every Wednesday, it is the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And next week is Episode 15. The Glory Days, Great American Bash 89 Watch Along. I can't wait to see all of you guys. I hope you guys tune in while you're cooking on Thursday. It'd be a great time to pop on the show, put the earbuds in while you're cooking that turkey, listen to the show on Thursday, listen to it on Thanksgiving Eve if you don't want to hear your your in-laws or whoever's over visiting. It's, it's going to be a great time. I hope we can entertain you. We're going to be entertained. And thank you, Steve, one more time for following this ride all the way to the Great American Bash. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure to be here. Again, can't wait. We we made it to another watch along. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. And once again, I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading The Grenade. You can find The Grenade, Monday Warfare, the WrestleCopia News Network, and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. 
Remember to follow the grenade on Twitter at Rasslin' Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade for your chance at winning one of three free prize giveaways on Thanksgiving. The Razor Ramon WrestleMania 10 autographed 8x10, the 18x24 Survivor Series 1990 poster reprint, or the Ken Patera McDonald's pack. That's an autographed 8x10 of Ken Patera as Intercontinental Champion circa 1980, and a $10 McDonald's gift card. And if you're not in on the joke, Google Kim Patera and McDonald's. It won't take you long. Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month. Give it a try and join in on the fun. There's no commitment. Cancel at any time. But we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. Also on Patreon, our Power Hour podcast is now up and running, where we review the current product, recent pay-per-views, and discuss a variety of topics from every era. It's unfiltered, uncensored, and nothing is off-limits on the Power Hour podcast. We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front. We want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021. So we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week, Thanksgiving Eve, with the NWA Great American Bash 89, the Glory Days Watch Along. One of my personal favorite pay-per-views over the course of the history of the NWA and WCW. And until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there. You're going to know that Rick. Woo!